welcome to Broken Silicon, a computer hardware and gaming podcast. I am your, I am your, well, I am your, yeah, I, I am your Tom, who is a host. I guess I can say it that way. Don't talk. I haven't introduced you. Um, I actually just want to open up this episode just with some housekeeping. Uh, you know, remember to review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps so much. Share this with your friends, support us on Patreon, and note that, yeah, the channel's upgrading quite a bit. I have not recorded the new end of show kind of, you know, well, you know, this was made by recording yet, but I will soon. But before I do that, I'll just have to say that there is a P.O. Box now. Send things to Moore's Law is Dead, uh, addressed to P.O. Box 10468 in Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And yeah, I, I actually want to start this episode just by talking about how <laughs> my my guest is grinning at me in a way that makes me <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, like I've got, uh, I just did a couple of big videos and I know there's more coming. I do have a plan to do a big Navi video. I have a plan to do a couple other videos and I know I haven't even gotten out of 3950X review. My decision on that is it's mostly going to be opinions and rough estimates of my performance and my overall thoughts on who it's for, just because the time to do a ton of benchmarking, I just got through two giant Intel dumps of information. Now I got Navi stuff. I think it's best if I just get the 3950X thing out there. Uh, but yeah, so that's coming soon. And uh, yeah, everyone en really enjoyed the die shake. Okay, I'll introduce you. Uh, I am joined by my guest, co-host. I think. Fuck. I think yeah, co-host. Co-host. I'm called the co-host in these episodes. Uh, hi, I'm Dan. I am the co-host now. I was holding back laughter that entire time. Like I just thought the when I started talking, don't talk yet was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, not yeah. I mean. I will say this too, the people like Cortex, you can tell he's silent until I introduce him too. I probably could go for 10 minutes and he would just professionally sit there and stare at me. <laughs> just like you did, we'll try not to laugh. But yeah, how are you doing, Dan? Oh, your dog is really... My dog is peeking, peeking around my shoulder right now for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> probably wants to know who you're talking to. Well, uh, based on my understanding, it doesn't seem like my dog is able to like register what she sees on tv screens like she's never paid any attention to them so i don't know maybe she doesn't see you right now maybe you know? i'll upload i was thinking of this why don't i upload like a picture of her behind your shoulder i mean we do record this as a backup over skype so i could put that in the podcast and just just because i feel like people need to know what your dog looks like she is a pretty cute dog i think so She's definitely a Vivi. Um, how, you know, I should say we decided to record a little early. This is being recorded on the 18th on a Saturday just because you, as usual, do not have reliable electricity despite oh, yeah. being in one of the biggest cities in the world. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I didn't have power this morning. And as I was talking to Tom last night, I have figured out that about eight to 10 hours before a power outage, the outlet for my refrigerator stops working for some reason. So I opened my <laughs> fridge last night and I was like, oh, looks like I won't have power this morning. How do you know? Oh, Tom says, how do you know? And I was like, oh, the fridge is off again. So I'm assuming that that the electricity goes for that first for some reason. And sure enough, I woke up and no power for about six hours today. So that was awesome. Yeah, you tell me you're not very happy. 
with the, shall we say, infrastructure of the Northeast compared to the Midwest? No, I'm I am very displeased by it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get you back here at some point, I think. But, you know, I said last episode with you was going to be the longest episode ever. Cortex went longer. And I got to say, this script might be our longest one, actually. Nice. There's just so much going on. Anyways, I guess let's get into it. So we'll start with corrections as usual, which you can send us if you support us on Patreon. SN writes in and he says, by the way, I think it might sound to some as seeming a little demeaning. Fun side or not about that Plundervolt song you guys had uh, last time. It wasn't written by some guy, but the creator of, or the person who found the vulnerabilities. And he also did one for Spectre. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I would say, Essen, is, well, two things. Your reader mail that alerted me to the song just said, what do you think of this? And then there was a <laughs> link, and I was like, it's funny. I did notice when I was putting together the links and uploading everything, I was like, oh, these are the guys that found it. They have a paper on Plunder. <laughs> uh, but also, some guy isn't an insult. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i just some fucking guy. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean what do I know? All, we're all just some guy or girl. Some I young guy. Say, I would say gal, but gal has always sounded like a weird word to me, and I don't like it. <laughs> Let's get some gals. Ew. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um... I don't know. Good song though. Good uh good finding security vulnerabilities. Yeah. Don't you guys, come on. Some guy, dudes, gangs, the gang that found the Spectre vulnerabilities smart too. I should just start doing that now. So this chick Lisa Sue. <laughs> some some chick, I don't know, I think her name is yeah. like uh, Lisa, Lisa Su, something like that. Yeah. I don't know. She's in charge of this company that's leading the market or something. <laughs> what company? Uh, we never talk about it. AMD. Also, that oh, leads AMD. me to, <laughs> that leads me to, which I type AMD so much now that my phone autocorrects and to AMD. That's good. It's very frustrating. But <laughs> I also want to touch on the AMD drivers again. There are a couple people in the Cortex podcast, which again, everyone should listen to if you haven't yet, um, that said... It's about time I admitted AMD driver issues. And there was one guy that was like, I had to send my 5700 back because of uh, a looping blue screen of death rebooting. And a couple of things, guys. I can only tell you the information I know. And up until those videos, AMD drivers were super stable. Additionally, that was not AMD drivers making you go into a reboot sequence that's never happened even with the ones i was talking about and that's and by the way i think i saw this from uh steve at hardware unbox in the private chat we have and there are a couple of tech tubers talking it was clearly a windows update issue that conflicted with their new drivers anytime you have reboot issues tons of blue screens out of nowhere apps breaking at the same time as that it's a windows update guys you sent your 5700 back for no reason yeah i i don't know i i've noticed a lot of like when I used to give like advice on hardware forums more often, people would like attribute really weird causes to some effect. Like I, I saw it happen all the time. I like people talking about getting lower performance and it's just like, well, why is uh, this broken or why don't these drivers work or whatever? And it's just, it's not just like everything is broken all the time. Like sort out your issues. 
And I'll say with... Uh, yeah, even NVIDIA never did that to me, and I had tons of problems with their drivers. I mean, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I remember when I was using a 560 Ti, and uh, I had to... I, I mean, it was like every time you updated a card, it was like, oh, go through the six drivers to find the one that works. Yeah, um, but it never which, caused like a blue screen which loop, I'll say this, right? Yeah, I, I'll say this. I was having crashing issues with my system for a few days. And for some reason, I didn't consider the fact that it was the broken drivers until Tom said it's the drivers, Dan. And I reinstalled, the, I think, the October drivers. And That's the ones I'm using. Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't had a crash uh, since I reverted back to older drivers. So. I have a suspicion it is something to do with using certain AMD chipsets and that Windows update and the newest December drivers. Because I've seen plenty of people, including, I think, Chris from Good Old Gamers, that he just installed a system zero issues, right? I think it depends mm -hmm. what you had. And it was, again, anytime no, you're getting random blue screens and app crashes at the same time, I'm telling you, it's almost always a Windows 10 update. Basically always. Yeah. I love updates breaking things. That's one of my favorite things. Anyways, let's move on a little bit here. So Nerdfencer also writes in. So he says, dual port SSDs are about redundancy and high availability more than performance. I'm assuming this is what you were talking about when you mentioned the dual host SSD for the PS5. Uh, no, it, 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 it isn't. I'm not talking about uh, redundancy. The guy said specifically the SSD was built to address multiple things at the same time better. It was about performance and an effective bandwidth increase. To be fair, it might be too high level for me to get into the details too much, but it was about performance. It was not about redundancy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, this type of stuff is a little bit over my head, like from a technical standpoint, so I can't really speak much to it, but yeah, that solves that. So and then Stefan also writes in and he says, I saw the loose ends in December and I like your chip analytics, but Nintendo's business model is different from Sony and MS. Yeah, I know. Nintendo used custom chips in the past, even made a custom package for the Wii U. Yeah, that couldn't even run Metro. They showed a demo of Metro Last Light and then they couldn't make the game because the dev specifically said the CPU's too slow. I'm aware Nintendo can make cu shitty custom packages. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm coming in hot on this one, guys. Uh, the reason they don't go third party, because when a console succeeds, they sell with a profit on the hardware and they don't have to pay a licensing fee to a different platform owner for their games. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I got to be pretty confrontational on this one because I understand Nintendo's business model and I'm saying I don't agree it's the right one. They would make substantially more money if they put their games third party. And we'll get to it in later stories, but this is something Sony's doing. They're bringing Horizon to PC. This is something Microsoft did. Why is Nintendo hell-bent on making less money than they could? I don't get it. And they're the ones who would benefit the most, I think. Yeah, so I mean, I'm looking at it right now. The Nintendo Switch is a pretty successful console so far. So it sold about 42 million units and two-ish, a little over two years. So, I mean, I guess it's doing well, but Nintendo has seems to be really weird boom or bust cycles where like half of their consoles are just massive flops and then half of them, them do pretty well. And, well, not half even. Like the Wii was their first successful console since the SNES. Then they made the Wii U, which bombed. 
So yeah, they're profiting off of the console, but I'm not sure how many people are being convinced to buy the Nintendo Switch because you can only get certain games on the Switch. Like, it seems like interest in Nintendo is going down over time. So this is, and again, this isn't supposed to just be like a Nintendo bashing fest, but like I do have to point this out too. If you think about it, the 3DS, I believe, sold about 60-something million, 70 million, somewhere around there. And then the Wii U sold about 13 or something. So wake me up when the Switch sells over 80 million. And it might. I think it might. Yeah, it sold 42 million in uh, like two and a half years. It it definitely could reach 80. It could. But at the same time, so that means it's as good as the Wii U era then. It doesn't mean it's anywhere near like the Game Boy plus N64 era or the Wii plus DS era. The Wii plus DS era, we're talking 250 million. So if they beat 90, there's still a third, well, wait. Yeah, about a third the relevancy they used to be. I really think it doesn't make sense. Or maybe like cut the price of the Switch because I think more people would buy it if they weren't selling it for the absurd price of $300. But (laughs) that's beside the point. Well, they insist on making a profit on each console sold, which is ridiculous because the idea should be to not bankrupt yourself, but get the console to as many people as you can and then get them buying games on your system. So, for instance, the attach rate of the Wii was famously about a fourth of the PS3. All the money's made on the software, guys. <laughs> yeah, so like, I just want to be clear. When me and Dan say we don't know what they're doing this for, it's not that we don't actually know. It's like it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. And I, I don't remember the exact number, so don't quote me uh, here. Uh, and don't quote the like attach rate thing. I just know it was much lower. Well, you look at their profit margins per year, like compared to the PlayStation division, I remember it being like half as much at their best year. Not during the PS3 era. I'm saying recently. So like, yeah, the, yeah they're doing well now, but they were in dire straits. If, if the Switch would have failed, I mean, I don't know what they would have done as a company. And remember, I know they have a war chest of money, but people would have sold the stock. Yeah, and uh, I'd like to speak back to the Wii's attach rate. Um I think that was a um, joke, like a joke throughout like the entire country during the Wii generation. Was everyone had a Wii that was collecting dust behind their TV? Every, Our parents all literally of my, did. All of my friends had Wii's collecting dust behind the TV. <laughs> yeah, and this is another thing too. I think they said the PS4 is an attach rate of like ten, uh, yeah, like right. over ten, and that's I think that's just like physical disc. I'm not sure. I think that's just physical disc. Who knows what if you added downloadable. I think the PS3 was higher than that, though. But then again, they didn't sell as many. You know, they're not going to hit. You know, the PS4 sold 50% better. So the tax rates usually get a little lower the more consoles you sell. But I don't know. I, I just, I, do, I don't get why. Like, I really think Nintendo's best business model would be to put generation old games on the competing consoles and then just put the newest stuff on their system. And then put retro games on Android, which I think they are sometimes, but like they need to get them a lot of them out. I think. I think they can make a killing. Imagine like re-releasing all these Pokemon games officially on Android and Apple. Like they make a killing. Yeah, I I, I was trying to find attach rates, and it's there's a lot. I can't <laughs> find an exact. It, I already looked it up. I'm guessing that number is hard. It to said find, it's better yeah. than the Wii, 
uh, which is why I brought up the Wii too. I did look up an article just now where they were talking about the attach rate of the Switch is great for them. It's better than what the Wii was, but it's like, yeah, the Wii had a famously horrible attach rate. A lot of people didn't even get a game. They would just use the game that came with it. Yeah, I know. Uh, so, yeah, the, we know what their model is, but I think Nintendo would be a more successful company if they were doing something more similar to like what Xbox doing, but maybe even going further and just publishing their games on everything. <laughs> they do a good job making mobile consoles, right? So I think there's an argument to be made to keep doing that and having the exclusives come out on it and then make it so you can hook it up to a TV. Like my friend mm-hmm. came over during Christmas uh, break some friends came over and he brought a switch and yeah, all those little cheap controllers and you can like attach buttons to them and use them. And we all played four player super smash bros together. That's, that's great. And the, you know, it works, but it doesn't make sense to not then put a lot of your games on other systems. Cause there's so many people would buy like super Mario galaxy or something on PS4. I just don't know what they're thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah, the the Switch is a cool console. I, I have no desire to get it, but I, I get why it's there. And I think they could just be selling more things if they put their games on, like, Windows and uh, Xbox. I don't know if they would consider doing it to, with Sony because I, Nintendo and Sony famously don't like each other, but... <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, let's let's actually skip to story number two. So number two, it's the concept UFO by Dell. I thought that was very interesting, didn't you? Yeah, so it's essentially a new idea on the like NVIDIA Shield, except it runs Windows, correct? Well, yeah, and it has the Switch-like ability to plug into a TV and have the Switch controller pop off, go onto a little thing, and you can... I think it's cool. I I mean, and and of course, so many people said they want it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that looks awesome. Like, so many people want a a a good, like, portable PC. Like, Like, there's laptops, obviously, but it's not the same thing. No, and I just don't... It's just... Someone just needs to do it. You just yeah. need to do it if you want to see, like, it, I know it's going to be risky. I know that it might not make as much money as you put in, but you're never going to know unless you actually put in the effort. And and everything that we have now, and I've had people, like, argue with me that, you know, we have it already with whatever, and I'm like, no, it's garbage. I've seen, they're like, the things that exist now are like a thousand dollars for two fifty-six gigabytes. They have like a core M, you know, so a yeah. quad thread Intel thing with garbage graphics. I can't play any recent games with that. I don't want retro gaming. I want a Switch-like device <laughs> that I can plug into a TV, use a keyboard, use it like a desktop on the go, but then it's fine. If it's like it's fine if it's like 900 p low settings. I want to be able to play though. You know, the Outer Worlds on it. Otherwise, cu- what's the point? I'm curious what the price on that. Uh, did they say the price of what it, it that it will be? Because I'm guessing... This is a concept, like, it seems. Okay, because my guess if they release that, it's probably going to be relatively pricey, though. Well, you know, Renoir, the a, so the cut-down Renoir in an Acer laptop's coming out. It's like a $600 laptop, M.2 drive, Eight core, eight threads, so no hyper threading enabled, but that's fine for gaming. And then, you know, an APU 
in between a 550 and a 560. That's good enough. TDP that sucker down to 10 watts, 5 watts, you know, and yeah. uh, it'll work. Yeah, the only problem is this is a more niche product than a laptop, so I'm assuming they would have to sell it for a higher price. And it also, but... We'll I see. wouldn't assume that, and they could use a cheaper one too. They don't need to use the yeah. forty. They don't need to use the eight core <laughs> version. They could use the six twelve or some four core. You know, and it would yeah, run yeah. games. You know, it'd run the games. The one thing I have a problem with the UFO is it's too big, in my opinion. It's just a bit too big. Yeah, All these portable pretty- tablets and gaming Windows things seem too big to me. I want to be able to put it in some kind of pocket or something, and it needs well, yeah, to be like, about six hundred. I'm not yeah, paying like more the, than six hundred. Even with like the switch, like the switch feels a little bit too big for me in its portable mode. I mean, it's not uncomfortable, I guess, but it's pretty, pretty fucking big. <laughs> yeah, it's big. And this is bigger than that. So there's no way I would carry it around. I, I honestly think the solution, remember the um, Game Boy Advanced Light is what it was. Wasn't it the one that fl- folded like a clamshell? Uh I don't remember what SD maybe something like that. So that type of a design for a laptop, which is just a laptop design, but making it a little smaller is I think what I would actually want. Take those nine inch, eight inch, super small laptops that can fit in your back pocket and just make it slightly bigger to fit analog sticks on it. Put two analog sticks and some buttons on the sides. But make it so, Kim, you could even do this. I mean, honestly, look at how this works like a switch with the halves of the controller on each side. What if you just attach that to the bottom of the laptop around the keyboard? And then you just held it folded open. That way, I actually have a laptop. Because that's a problem, too. If I got a device like this, I don't want to also have a laptop. There's no way I'm having both. Yeah, that's the problem with pro- like ideas like this is... If you if it's designed in a certain way, it you immediately lose interest in anyone that would potentially buy it because if it doesn't function like a laptop as well, I feel like this device is for rich kids that get too many uh, that get too much Agreed. money to buy hardware. And that's the other point too. Even though I could afford two laptops, I don't do it just because I think it's a waste of money. Um, <laughs> and most people can't afford to, so this would have to be able to be a step in for a laptop. It would all, and I mean, it has decent hardware for how small it is. It'd be a waste if you couldn't use it for some productivity on the go. I would love that. Well, if they if they think of adding a productivity functionality to it, I think it could potentially sell really well. But then again, the idea of being able to game and be productive is, I don't know, a lot of people see those devices as being separate. But like they're not. People- it's literally the same hardware. Like a lot edit. of people I know that use, like from college, that used gaming PCs, they would use a different computer for like their work because they can't separate out doing no. productivity work on one thing as well as gaming. Yeah, I don't know. That's not me. <laughs> yeah, that's not me either. But <laughs> All right, so let's go back to number one then. Uh, CES, was there anything else you wanted to mention? I mean, it already dove deep into CES with... Uh, Cortex. Is there any well, anything you like that you want to talk about? There's not too much. I like I like the uh, PlayStation car, and I will only refer to it as the <laughs> PlayStation car. <laughs> it's the car concept from Sony, which there's um, no way they're making. I don't know why they showed that, honestly. Which, yeah, I think I didn't read too much about it, but I saw like people saying 
I don't think Sony really wants to get into like the nightmare that is car manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, you have something no one gives Tesla credit for. The fact that they actually succeeded in any way <laughs> with a new car company is insane. You basically have to build a house that can move at 100 miles an hour. and I mean, it has its own air conditioning, everything. And then also it has to somehow be reliable. And if you crash that car, hopefully no one dies. Like that's such an undertaking of engineering. Yeah, I know. And most of the companies that have been doing this have been doing it for 100 years. So just entering the fray is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't too much uh, else aside from what you have written down from CES, Jesus. Uh, I, I don't think there was too much. I mean, there was the Sony PlayStation 5 logo reveal, yeah. which... I thought I mean, we can funny. talk about that a bit. I talked about that with Cortex as well. I mean, I thought the jokes about it were funny. I think anyone complaining, I don't think people are complaining though. I think most people just think it's funny how obvious it yeah. was. Yeah. People are just making jokes about it because, well, one, why do we need to do a logo unveil? We know what the PS5 logo yeah, is going to look like. Like, I, I imagine they were like, we need the PS5 logo. And they just had an intern type in Sony font. And then yeah. The place, then right. Yeah. PS5, there's the logo. <laughs> yeah. I, I. The funniest thing I have about that is how many websites ran that as a front story for an evening. I really, truly believe they thought the PS5 was going to be unveiled, and they had like these half articles written ahead of time, and then nothing happened, and they released these like long articles somehow talking for, you know, six paragraphs, ten paragraphs about. The most uninteresting thing ever. That for me was the funniest part. Just how obvious it was. So many people expected more. I always love when that happens. Uh, well, reading articles that like have like three paragraphs of intro about like some long history of a company. And oh, I, know. I, I didn't. I didn't read any of the Sony articles about the PS5 logo because what is there to read? Uh, but I'm assuming there was that, and then it just ended with "Here's the logo." <laughs> and shoulder shrug. Guitar Guy 515 writes in and he says, What is known of the Zen 2 APUs for desktop and laptops? Would PCIe 4.0 even be practical for the form factor given the heat power trade offs? Was I mistaken? APUs have access to fewer lanes than the full old CPU SKUs. Yeah, they often do, which might result in lower power draw and heat generation in a laptop form factor. Perhaps a smaller low power B550 or maybe A520 type chipset. Yeah, probably. I mean, the one thing I will say is, remember, Tiger Lake's going to have PCIe 4.0. So Intel intends on making it work, although I don't remember mm-hmm. how many lanes it's going to have. I guess I'll say that. But I'll also say AMD says no <laughs> PCIe 4.0 on Renoir. I mean, that's interesting, I guess, given that APUs are pretty much at least the start of like maybe seeing SOCs on computers. Like, I don't know what what would the need be for PCIe 4.0? They don't need access to as many lanes, correct? Um, not generally on a laptop, no. Yeah, so um, I don't know. Uh, apart from that, I think I'll just say generally speaking, Renoir seems like it's going to be pretty cool. But <laughs> Oh, yeah, I think Renoir is going to be really, really good. We'll get to that later. Yeah, I, I um, The only thing I could see is, you know, remember, they use... I'm pretty sure it's just the same dies when they bring the APUs to la- um to PC. PC. So, so I would just assume, you know, they're just fine with it having PCIe 3.0 when you put it in an X570 motherboard, which 
I mean, I don't know why it would matter much either. I mean, you got a 2700X because you could get an X570 for cheap enough that it was like another 20 bucks and that allows you to upgrade to Zen 2 or 3, you yeah. know, in the future. So I don't think anyone buying an APU will probably care about that either, right? Yeah, because people that are buying APUs, they're typically buying it's you're you're get you're making a low price desktop. So yeah, I don't think you're looking for have all the features. I would assume you know whatever comes next, which we can one can only assume will be like a Zen three RDNA APU next. Uh, that'll probably have it, but yeah, they decided it wasn't worth it right now. Anyways, let us move on to story number three. So, you ready for a 380-watt, Dan, processor? Hell yeah. (laughs) So, for those who don't know, Intel's preparing, supposedly, the i9-10990XE, a 22-core, 44-thread, you know, for the X299X platform, with a 380-watt TDP. And up to 5 gigahertz all-core boost, I guess. I mean, that thing's going to use 500 watts if it sustains. Well, if we know uh, how Intel's counting uh, TDP works, yeah, that's probably correct. I wouldn't be surprised if it was only like 450, though. Like, not the usual doubling. Like, <laughs> like just at a certain point, the heat density, it's like, nah, we can't lie about this one. <laughs> or it won't yeah. work. Uh, I don't know. The, this... Uh, processor confuses me a little bit like what is the Mm -hmm. purpose of it oh i mean i think it's pretty simple i think intel's tired of seeing the 3950x beat their top hdt chip (laughs) i really think that's what it is i think amd's gonna keep rubbing that in their face like dude their 18 core quad channel memory platform isn't even as good as you just getting the mainstream platform even the 3900x is within like 20% 20% to their top chip, making the rest of their chips a complete joke on that platform. So I really think this is so they can show a graph and say, look, at boost of 5 gigahertz, and if you cool it well enough, it's close to AMD's 24 core. I really think it's so they can make it match up with the 24 core and at least technically say they have something better, right? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm actually looking at the article. Uh, apparently, that's also just based on base clocks so it might consume like a thousand watts (laughs) again yeah i and this is what's so perplexing though is i would think they would just make a trade-off at some point though and be like you know what we're giving it a 3.5 or 3.9 3.8 gigahertz base clock because i and we're going to put it at 300 watts i can't imagine any processor coming with a tdp over 300 yeah i mean that's insane (laughs) like so like, I honestly don't know how you'd cool that. I mean, you you just need... I mean, I remember when Skylake X first came out, and there was that... Was it the i9-7900X, I think? That was the 10-core. And yeah, I remember Steve at Hardware Unbox, like, overclocked it to 5 gigahertz all-core. And he's like, yeah, and it ran at 90 degrees with a, like, 500 watts worth of cooling custom loop. Like, we can get all 10 cores to 5 gigahertz, but that's what it required. So, yeah... I, I don't know what, I mean, this would be insane. I, I mean, it's not boosting all cores to that for more than a second, is what I'd say. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know, I guess this is just Intel's decision. On desktop, they're going to make all, most of their top chips 5 gigahertz. That's their marketing slogan for now. We don't have as many cores. 
and we're not efficient and our IO is worse and we have security vulnerabilities and we're too expensive. But you know what? But five. Five <laughs> gigahertz people. Yeah, I don't know. It really is, again, it reminds me of the, uh, what was the Cascade Lake XAP, the 56 core dual chip. And it's like, no one's buying that. Yeah. It's but just so they, they they're just trying number. to save face. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let us move on to the next story. Lakefield. So a Lakefield benchmark leaked with it going up against, I believe, ARM's new 8-core. So the, yeah, the, in the in the Microsoft Surface Pro X. It's the one they're looking yeah. to put in the ARM version. So like their best ARM 8-core. And we know this is Lakefield, of course, because even though it's a genuine Intel CPU, it has five cores. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, so based on... Uh, yeah, so I guess, let me say this, right? That was one of the coolest presentations I saw at Hot Chips was the Fovros uh, design. And yeah, so it's one Sunny Cove or Ice Lake core and then four Atom cores, which I believe now I've been told Atoms are okay. No, they're not even Haswell IPC, but I've been told they're close to Ivy Bridge. So what you do is you have that one super core which again, remember everyone, is like 10% higher IPC than Zen 2. You take that and it delineates tasks to the background atom. But that, that way you have the same responsiveness of like an Ice Lake system. But it's about the size of a quarter and or a dime, I think. And it uses up to 7 watts. TDP up is 7 watts. It's built for 5 watts and you can TDP down it to 3. So this is getting to smartphone power usage. Yeah, and and seeing stuff that low power, like when you, yeah, we we were talking about this, uh, like design last night. Last night, yeah, it's a re- really interesting design choice that I'm at least excited to see how it performs. And based on this, it looks like the Qualcomm CPU performs a little better based on this leak, but not significantly. Yeah, again, I think what's most impressive, though, is that its physics score is just, let's see here, what is it, like 30% better than ARM yeah. with five cores, even weak atom cores, right? Versus, which I guess isn't ultimately that surprising to me. Its graphics performance is a bit lower, but again, I, I think this shows that, look, if ARM's going to take this long to get into the PC market, Intel and AMD will just make more efficient five watts. We're getting to the point with die shrinks here that they can start doing that. Yeah, I I mean, and that shouldn't be come as any surprise. Like they want to retain as much of the market as they can, and a new competitor entering isn't good for that. Uh, so they will figure out ways to engineer what ARM is trying to do if they are given enough time. Yeah, um, I want to say this about Lakefield. I was I was talking in the Discord last night. I really think it would be so awesome whatever the follow-up Lakefield is, or even this one, frankly. Like, I could see this being a decent gaming CPU. It has five cores. Like, if you had a, like, think of my uh, 13-inch NV HP laptop. What if they made a 12-inch version that was even thinner, and they put a Lakefield APU, and then, like, a 1650 Max-Q in it? Because you go from, like, a 20-watt processor, which I've undervolted and capped the boost a little bit on my my laptop so it never uses over 12 watts. It's generally using 7 watts. I mean, I could see this full throttle running 7 watts and it needs half as much cooling and you could just give more of a heat sink to the MX or to the, you know, GTX 1650 and just make the battery bigger. 
And I mean, you're not telling me this couldn't run any of the same games that I could get running on that. And we know, I mean, I hope they make a follow-up one. I wouldn't be surprised if they make a follow-up that's one Willow Cove core and then like six Atom cores. So there we go, seven cores. Put that little five-watt processor in a laptop and then give me a discrete GPU. I bet it would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, that would be cool. The only reason I would say that's unlikely to happen is just because the OEMs tend to just like, well, if you want a good graphics card, we're also going to throw in a really expensive processor, <laughs> a really big processor. There's no, you know, for gaming and even a lot of multitasking, that Lakefield's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And how much does the like 1650 Max Q use? 15 watts or something? Yeah, they've got it into some systems that are uh, traditionally MX250 systems now. Yeah, so like a 20... Like a thirty thirteen inch twelve yeah system that yeah total games pretty capably yeah <laughs> that would be that's where I hope we go but I was also talking to people on there like what I think this could be really impressive and you know Tiger Lake's also going to be impressive and they're talking about how well couldn't Zen three almost start competing with Lakefield and it's like well it'd be bigger but <laughs> maybe I mean I don't know right they already got fifteen watt eight core Renoir. Zen 3, one of its big things is power savings. I mean, you get that to 10 watts? Yeah, now I do take it over Lakefield. I'll take that (laughs) 10-watt one with full 8 cores over this 5-core. But I don't know. It is different. We'll have to see how all the performance shakes out. It seems like AMD is finally being able to make low power work better, though. So They're also able to poach people, which brings us to story number 5. AMD hires Intel's veteran of managing their server units. I said that in a weird way, but I think everyone knows what I mean. So yeah, Daniel McNamara has been hired, and uh, I just think that's funny. I, 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 a little interesting, because it's like, I just see it all the time, though, frankly. NVIDIA, AMD, Intel, poaching people back and forth, and ARM, all from each other. Yeah, I mean, it seems like in like the semiconductor industry, there's a lot of just trading between like several really smart people. It's like, okay, well, we need the server guy. Uh, we're, we're taking him now. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that? I just thought it was an interesting story because everyone keeps talking about how they stole Roger Kadori, but it's like, well, they just took Intel's server guy, which AMD needs. They I need mean, I, better server management to compete with Intel's logistics. I mean, yeah, I guess I'll say like beyond that, just that they can poach now. Um, that also indicates that they are intending to make a big push towards servers, which I don't think you need to be a genius to guess that, but <laughs> yeah, it does confirm it. But as we've been talking about, they're also making big gains in laptop. And that brings us to number six. So yeah, this was a leak of the AMD Ryzen 4000 Renoir 3D benchmarks, and it completely destroys uh, Ice Lake. <laughs> well, Comet Lake, I should say. And well, both. <laughs> so both. Renoir is looking to be really impressive. That's the most I have to say right 10% now. 10% better graphics performance. And of course, even with the 20% IPC bonus Ice Lake has over it, it's like a 30% higher physics score in 3D Mark, which is expected. Yeah. It has double the cores. <laughs> and again, this is, I get, I, people were talking about this in the Discord as well. Like, did Intel really not see AMD making eight cores coming? And I've seen a lot of people talking about that online, that 
Um, and I mean, this is another art link actually in this same story, which is retired engineer posted some information about a in, insider info from someone at Lenovo saying Intel is absolutely freaking out right now. Um, that even in some of their builds that they're testing, like for like the R5 4600H, which is two steps down. I don't even know the exact specs of that one. Uh, from the 48, you know, there's the 4700, the 4800H is the full one. That it beats Intel's eight core 16 thread i9 for laptops that's coming out now. <laughs> and so you're talking about, you know, something Intel, like it's bad enough that Renoir absolutely destroys Intel's Ice Lake performance by like 30%. But then when you have their Comet Lake eight core losing in Cinebench to their two pegs down version, that's very bad. I mean, but it's like what we're seeing on desktop, right? How is that any different? Then a 9900K losing to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Or the 9700 losing to the 3600. And like, yeah, it's 12 threads and this one is. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's not a shock that these m might outperform uh, what Intel's putting out in uh, laptops as well, I guess. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see whatever the uh, like top eight core. 16 thread thing that they are putting out is because it doesn't say they have a, any determination on how many uh vega compute units it's going to have yet but oh, i haven't double checked that but anyways uh the point though is this the answer to did intel not expect this i think intel of course expected an eight core but i yeah. think people keep getting hung up on the chiplet advantage like oh amd has chiplets they have an advantage with that and people forget Guys, Zen is just a good architecture too. They don't <laughs> need to make a chiplet-based APU for laptops that takes up all that space. They can just make a monolithic die. And even if it's still Vega, Vega is efficient. And they can put in some of the gains they've had from RDNA into it. And I think what caught Intel off guard was just how good it was. I don't think they actually expected AMD to basically squeeze a 3700X and RX 560 <laughs> into 15 watts. Or let's even say 25 watts, because you probably want it. You know, I think they have a 45-watt model too, which I think is going to be tremendous just because then they'll let the graphics card boost to 1.8 gigahertz. They'll let the processor boost to 4 gigahertz, and that uses 45 watts. I just think Intel thought they wouldn't manage to do that. With one yeah. efficient monolithic die. It's just something, again, people keep forgetting. AMD can make monolithic dies too if they want. Yeah, and I mean, I'm looking at the benchmarks right now, and it's looking, it looks like it says that the AMD graphics were like clocked at 1800 megahertz, so pretty well, highly clocked. And yeah. So I'm guessing in the, that might be the like 45 watt model, which, yeah, well, yeah. Be really high performance. Which people talk about that too, like uh, the 60% a roughly performance increase per compute unit. I'm sure a large part of that is the fact that it's running at 1.8 gigahertz, guys. I bet there is an IPC increase. I'm sure there is. But I think a lot of it just is. No, it's on a more refined set. It's on a very mature 7 nanometer now. They can just boost that sucker as high as my Radeon 7. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind Which, of Which, why would that surprise you? It's 7 nanometer. Why would it yeah, not? Yeah, <laughs> like, it's the God node process, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of God products, let us move on to number six. I'm, I'm just killing it with the segues today, aren't I? Um, You're really doing it, yeah. 
AMD is expected to reach a record high in 2020, driven by Zen 3. This is something where when people say, well, I don't know if AMD's financials look good. I don't know if this is going well. Well, they just hit a record fucking high of $51. Yeah, <laughs> so I think cool. AMD is doing fine. I still can't get over this, like people doubting companies like Tesla or AMD, where it's just like, well, they're really... You know, it's really hard, and it's like, uh, they seem to be executing pretty well, and Zen 3 is going to be part of that. I think, yeah, I think, again, anyone doubting Zen 3 is coming this year, which I think some people think I'm doubting it because I keep saying, like, 2021. No, I mean, I think it's going to launch in quarter four, but it's like, I think the full volume and rollout will be the beginning of 2021, though, right? Yeah, yeah, like, uh, yeah. Like at least I'll be surprised and- if they show it if it comes out in July. I guess I'll say that I will be surprised if it does. I would be too. I mean, and yeah, I could see a semi like paper e launch thing later in the year where they and maybe they only have a few products that actually come out this year, and then most of it comes out in 2021. But it seems like they're pretty confident that they're going to have Zen three by this year. So. Well, I mean, AMD's semi, and I say semi-public roadmaps because they pulled down the YouTube video where they were showing it off, but this is real. Um, It showed like quarter four. So what I would assume they're doing, though, is it'll be like around end of quarter three, early quarter four. But again, we don't know which products. I bet there'll be a lot of server, but I bet they will also target back to school shoppers for laptops. I bet that's their target. So Mm, I think you're going to look at back-to-school shoppers. But we also know X670 is coming out this year. And I think that'll just be positioned for like Thanksgiving, Christmas region. And I think, yeah, there'll just be a lot of reviews on Zen 3 in like September and August. Yeah, that sounds sensible to me. And they'll have like all their Renoir lines out by probably July or June or July. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then, as we know, APUs lag. And so, and Renoir already looks plenty impressive enough, even if it's not Zen 3, guys. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what it looks like. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm not doubting it's coming out this year. It's just like, I'm not convinced. Again, what's the impetus for them to get? <laughs> Renoir is already looking like it could clobber Tiger Lake, let alone Ice Lake. So, what's the... Yeah, I don't. I don't know... Uh, why they would rush out all these products. I think it's really going to be server first, a few products with X670. Like, I don't think there's going to be a Zen 3 4600 right away. I could be wrong, though. I mean, the impetus for them to do it is to continue beating down Intel, but it seems like Intel is in a bad position for the next few years, regardless. Yeah, you know, there's something to be said about capacity, too, because I wonder, like... I think that, I don't remember the exact number, but I know 7 nanometer UV is much lower capacity than their 7 nanometer they're just pumping everything out with right now. Like, I wonder if, um, like, we, we saw they're still selling the R5-1600 on 12 nanometer, <laughs> and that, which I think they're going to keep doing, and they've decided to put, like, the 2700X and 2700 down to, like, 120 bucks, like, just be the i3 killers. I wonder if we're going to see this thing where they just like kind of phase out the 3600, 3600X, and then they just move the 3700X and 3800X to the $200 region. Like, because, you know, they haven't released any, I guess they have released a 3500X, but it's China only. You don't see any 30. Yeah. You know what I mean, though? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know. Like, I, I was... Like this rolling, like, eh, we don't really need to release anything here. Well, yeah, because when I was looking at the 3600, it looks like stuff like the 2700X might kind of cannibalize the need for the 3600. So I wouldn't be surprised if, I don't know, maybe some of those are discontinued earlier just because manufacturing them is dirt cheap. Yeah, but I guess we won't know. I guess the last thing I'll say about Zen 3 is uh, USB 4.0. USB 4.0, guys. So now we know that too. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and also, though, I don't think we've even saturated 3.1 yet uh, with most things. But yeah, and again, just to summarize Zen 3, looks like 15% IPC increase, higher clock speeds, I think at least a 20% reduction in energy. And again, think about what that would mean. You're talking Ice Lake IPC on a 16 core that's now like a 95 watt that boosts higher than, you know. Well, what What's your power usage generally for like the 3950? What is I, I, well, it's a 105 watt yeah, TDP, yeah. but I think it uses like 110 to 120 generally. It's I mean, not even yeah. 120. I think it's more like 110. It uses less than the 3900X. I mean, yeah. So just general. So I, I don't know if people keep calling this Zen 3 Sandy. I mean, not Zen 3, Zen 2 Sandy Bridge. Zen 3 seems like it might be a pretty good Ivy Bridge analog. Like there's nothing huge that they're changing, but it's just generally a lot better. It's better in every way. And well, I think it's it's bigger than Ivy Bridge. Well, I think it's analog to Ivy Bridge in the sense that it's an Ivy Bridge moment. You know, Ivy Bridge yeah. cut energy down, brought out way better graphics, allowed them to just conquer laptop overnight. Like it was completely nothing. I mean, and I mean, they already were, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> now you yeah. had the PS3, I've said this before. And the uh, Bioshock Infinite's minimum requirements were Ivy Bridge 5 4,000 graphics. This was a period of time where the console generation dragged on long, but it allowed Intel to make 15-watt processors that could play AAA games, even if they had to be on 720 low. That was awesome. So (laughs) I think it's analog to that, where it's this giant efficiency and twisting the knife moment against Intel. It's not as impressive as Zen 2 in many ways, but it's still like the falling off of the cliff of performance. We go from like, you know, twice as efficient to three times as efficient. Once you get to three times as efficient, that means your mid-range products are beating your competition's high end. And once that happens, it's like just a knockout. But I think Zen 3 (laughs) is going to be a bigger deal uh, in terms of actual numbers. Yeah, I don't know if it'll be a bigger deal sales-wise, but... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we'll see, I guess. Uh, But I guess the other big takeaway is no, no more cores. (laughs) <laughs> uh, probably not on server. Uh, I've seen information where they were planning to like jump up to like 80 cores and mm-hmm. 320 threads. We don't know what they're going to do. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they did increase core counts on server. And then they just yeah. said eh, on desktop, they don't need to. You have 32 threads. You're fine. <laughs> I mean, there will be density gains. If they really wanted to, they could shove another chiplet in there, but I don't know. I think they're fine. I think the only thing I would hope they do, since it's already apparently seven nanometer EUVs, probably already up to like 75% yields. They haven't even released, they're not even releasing products yet. Like, I really wonder if they'll finally just move like the 4600, if it does come out, if it'll be an eight core. Because that would be awesome. Yeah. But who knows, right? Yeah. I, so, I mean, I guess until they have higher density, they probably won't add another chiplet. Um, and what? So maybe five. Once they're on five nanometer, maybe they'll start 
increasing core counts again? Or I don't know. They can do it whenever they want. I think they've just decided <laughs> they don't need to. And, you know, I've talked about this with my 3950X. Um, the scheduling is not as much of an issue as people think anymore. And I, I was told that they worked... I mean, the 64-core Threadripper distinctly came out later, not just because of supply and server first, but because they wanted to work with Microsoft on scheduling in Windows for months before they ever released a 64-core. Same goes for the 32 and 24-core Threadripper. That was partially delayed, not just because of capacity, but because they wanted to make sure the uh, software caught up. So a large part of removing hyper-threading, well, <laughs> removing four threads per core on Zen 3 is, well, we've beefed up these cores. Do we want to do this now or just give the threads that are there now more resources? Well, yeah, software it, is perfectly caught up because you don't want to launch four threads per core before it can dominate. Yeah, and the software is always behind the hardware. So just confusing that even more is probably pointless. <laughs> yeah, again, what I was saying though about the 3950X is it's not like I remember with my i7-4770K, I would be doing like programs use less threads and less resources back then. So yeah, back then that was a lot of threads. Eight mm -hmm. threads was a lot. And I remember playing games. Generally, a game would use three threads or something. Yeah. Basically, just you'd load up two threads. One thread would be at like 90% usage. One would be at like 50. And the other would be at like 30 or 20. And then if I had Google Chrome open or something, you know, it'd be using half of them. There'd be two, maybe one core not being used. But it was not that organized. When yeah. I say not being used, there'd be a few where you just saw these spikes going everywhere. It didn't make any <laughs> sense. Uh, with the 3950X, when I play Battlefield 5, even when I have a bunch of Chrome tabs open and I'm recording, you'll see the first core, one thread fully loaded. Second core, two threads, like 80% loaded. Third core, one thread fully loaded. And there's no task being sent to the second thread. And then there'll be one core, literally nothing on it. And then when I open something, you'll see it spike quick. And it's just saving that last core for when random apps open. That type of scheduling is not was not there before. So it is getting better. <laughs> and so I think when people doubt that there could be usefulness in four threads per core, it's like, well, there will be, but the architecture is going to have to be built around it and ironed out. It'd be ideal for it to be ironed out all the bugs and the scheduling before you launch it because you don't want any regressions when you launch that product. And you want at least some very distinct applications that use it perfectly. Like I imagine they might still disable two of the threads for most of the lineup. Yeah. I don't know though, maybe not. All right, number eight. The RTX 2060 drops to $300 right next to the 5600 XT, which will be $280. Yeah, actually, let us let me back up here a little bit, too. I remember the 5600 XT was rumored to be between $250 and $300. And I was like, they might do $300. And the point I kept making was, well, if they're going to sell the 2060, a card that will be around the same performance for $350, AMD is allowed to sell it for less than 20% like 20 lower. They keep doing that, but 280 is just about where it's okay-ish. Although I'm going to be honest, like again, like I'm just recommending used Vega and Polaris cards, guys, unless you get a 5700 XT. I'm looking at the price and the fact that the 2060 was priced at $350 before this is frankly insane to me. Like It's definitely not worth that much <laughs> yeah but before we started recording this uh part of the podcast dan's like wait was the 2060 350 at one point and i'm like yeah and it's often 380 for aib models 
Yeah, so I mean, it's looking like uh, they're actually going for him decently competitive price or the price that they usually are yeah and and i think evga is putting out the knockout model which is supposed to be uh 280 dollars clearly trying to directly compete with the uh 5600 yeah uh 5600 xt i I should say (laughs) i mean i want to be honest guys this is what the 2060 should have cost the whole time um, and I want to say something else too. So many people, including tech tubers I've talked to, have said, well, the 2060 was okay because its price performance was better. You can't say the 2070 is bad and say the 2060 was okay. The 2060 was 350 for a six gigabyte card. 350 for a six gigabyte card. Yeah, I, <laughs> when I, Vega Fifty Six was already three hundred dollars and had eight gigabytes with high bandwidth cash, the twenty sixty moved the goalpost. Now it's okay to make six gigabyte cards over three hundred dollars. The twenty sixty for me was w- just as bad as the rest. Yeah, I'm glad to see that it's finally at the price that it should be at. That's that's pretty much what I have to say about the twenty sixty being moved to three hundred dollars. I'm glad NVIDIA is starting to relent a little bit, though, to AMD just still pricing the uh, 5600 XT at $280 because, I mean, based on current pricing, they could have probably made it $300, (laughs) like, if they wanted to. And this is something I talked about, too. Like, I remember when I covered 5600 XT in the CES video I did, uh, people, a lot of people thought I was silly for saying this. I'm like, look, Here's the thing about the 5600 XT. Is it really changing that much? No, but 280 is a fair price versus the competition. And I'm telling you, this is going to cause downward price pressure. I'm telling you it will. Because the problem before was you had the 300 to 350, 5700, which again beats the 2060, which is almost a 2070. Uh, an absolute joke that anyone would buy in video with that card existing around $300. But then the problem was you had the 8 gigabyte 5500 XT at $200. $100 more? It's like they're so they're far enough away from each other that there was nothing really causing anything to move in prices. And putting this card at 280 right there, in my opinion, makes it so that if there's any competition, and there always will be with AIB prices and NVIDIA, it will push the 5500 XT down now. And don't forget, there's also a 5600 non-XT. So that will probably come in at like 250, 220. The 5500 XT is going to drift to like 160, 170. And then the four gigabyte version will drift to where the 560 was, 120. It'll happen. Yeah, I mean, it's just nice to see that drift actually happening. And just quick, the 5600 hasn't been officially announced yet, correct? Honestly, I don't remember, but I know it exists. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. But no. sometimes I don't even remember what's announced anymore. Yeah, it's it's hard to remember sometimes. <laughs> but so this is funny because this is story number nine. AMD's response, which I thought the response would just be doing nothing. Their response is overclocking it now. <laughs> so it looks like they're going to uh, they're sending out new BIOSes for any cards that can take it that overclock the RAM. Well, yeah, I mean, so specifically, if you look at the links, this Sapphire Pulse 5600 XT is going from 12 gigabit per second to 14 gigabit per second memory chips. And it's getting about a, I don't know, what 8% overclock to the core. 560. So 560 to 1615. Yeah, about 5%, I, I think. 
So, I mean, yeah, uh, that. But the, but the bandwidth increase, and it is one ninety two bit. That would be the biggest bottleneck on this card. I mean, you're increasing bandwidth by like fifteen percent, and then increasing the core by five. So there it is. This will now be as strong as a twenty sixty at least. This will just complete directly with it. And I think this is so goofy how it just shows AMD was just going to make it a 150-watt card, I guess, that competed with the... That was a little weaker, but weak enough that they could sell it just below. And now they're just like, eh, screw it. Make it use barely less energy than the 5700. It'll compete directly with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's kind of hilarious both moves they made, both moves both companies made. Because it seems like they've just done updates to make them, on paper, maybe almost like the same card performance-wise. Except for the 5600 has two more gigabytes of RAM. No, no, it doesn't. It has, it doesn't, uh, oh. it has oh. six, remember. Yep. Well, egg on my face for that one. I'm a dipshit. You fucking idiot. God I'm damn sorry, it, Dan. Okay, I'm sorry. God damn it. Uh, fuck. We have to start over. No. <laughs> But, um, I mean, this is the world, you know, everyone bought the 1660 Ti for frickin' $280, a small, well, not really that small, but, I mean, it's a perfectly mature node, six gigabyte card, so I guess here we go, we're just gonna make six gigabyte the standard at 280 now, though, better than 350, I guess. Oh, yeah, and I, I guess, just to go back, I just did the math, uh, it's, the game clock is 4.5, no, 4% higher the boost clock is now uh, 8% higher. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I was annoyed that I didn't know the exact math, and I thought I would say it. <laughs> Fucking nerd. First you get... You, first you mess up how much RAM there is, and you know now someone in the comments is going to correct you and say it's 8 gigabytes, and that makes them smarter than you. And then you throw this nerd math at me? Yeah. I mean, it's I just mean, inconsistent. What the fuck's going on? professional of me, really. I'm going to be honest, guys. I'm going to go kill myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> You're right, Tom. I'm going to go kill myself. But I, I said this in the... Uh, and anyone who hasn't listened to it yet or watched it yet, my, my big Z video came out and it tells you pretty much where they're targeting, which is like the... Two, I think the $150 to $300 range with their top cards. I think from Intel. Dude, we need it. We need Intel to enter in here right now because they're just basically cutting up the market for each other. I mean, NVIDIA's not happy about losing some market share, but AMD's all too happy to just be like, eh, we don't care anymore. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It'll be good to see uh, Intel just throw a just throw a grenade into the room and <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> Which, yeah, I guess let me touch on that now. I don't have that as a story here because it was a leak that came from me. It basically confirmed the execution units that have been rumored. Yeah, it is 128, 256, 512. Tiger Lake has 96 execution units, and it's about as strong as like Vega 8 or something. So yeah, I mean, we're looking at, you know, uh, we're looking at something around 5700 XT performance. Obviously, we won't know power usage until they tape the thing out, mm -hmm. but... It, it looks like it could be pretty decent. Uh, at least they're going to go for the mid-range. They're not just going to cobble around in the bottom. But I don't think we're seeing any giant Intel cards yet. And it takes a while to get out stuff. So, again, none of this is unexpected. But, yeah, using HBM2E or HBM3 in the top card, kind of built for compute, 
the consumer gaming cards will probably slot in the mid-range. Uh, if anyone's wondering what Intel's looking to do in 2021. Oh, and it's on 10 nanometer, guys. Like, really double confirmed. They're like, nope, 10 nanometer. So that's yeah. the one thing I'll say. If they're making this 50, 512 execution unit card, they're going to start, you know, uh, taping it out, I believe, summer, to j between summer and fall. So if it goes... And like, and board partners get it, and they leak, and they say, "Hey, it's pretty good." Then we know their ten nanometer works because these dies are substantially bigger than Ice Lake. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Well, do we know that? How big are the dies for, uh, like their discrete uh, cards? Do we know that yet, or not really? No. no. Okay. Well, I'm excited to see whatever Z Intel Z is. So. Yeah, and that's also an Alder Lake taps out, which is also looking to be. Uh, Golden Cove core is more and more likely with PCIe 5.0. So that's interesting too. Mm -hmm. Just throwing it out there, guys, but watch that video. <laughs> Anyways, number 10. NVIDIA may announce 7 nanometer Ampere at GDC. And that's in March. And that's their internal graphics card conference, right? Oh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> oh, I looked it up. It's their internal graphics card conference, I think. It's like... It's NVIDIA's? Yeah. Look how dumb I am. See? Yeah. It's, it's like it's like when uh, me yeah. and Cortex were talking in the last podcast. Guys, I don't know everything. I I had to do all this research. I I mean, I didn't even realize that was Nvidia's conference. Shows you how much I pay attention to GDC. And it yeah. <laughs> it shows you the random details I'll latch on to. Um but yeah, I Yeah, that makes sense then. I, I guess again, uh, just I, I only put the story in there because we kind of had to talk about it. Ampere might be announced in a few months. Within a few months, I should say. And if it is, I don't know. I mean, I think, yeah, you're looking at quarter three, quarter four launch. I doubt they just announce it and it comes out. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, coming two years after Turing came out. Woo! Um, well, two, But, yeah, like two, everyone who said it's coming out any second now. Remember how many people said it's going to come out late last year and they said it's going to come out at the beginning of this year? I'm like, no, it's not. We don't know. There's no leaks. No one's, there's nothing. There's no, they started talking about RTX at the beginning of like 2018, like well, quarter two. And that was the first real clue they were going with a ray chasing generation. We're seeing nothing, none of that with Ampere yet. Well, I mean, yeah. And I remember like when we were paying, when I was paying attention to this, uh, to the hardware space, like back in 2012, 2014, I mean, you would read leaks and, you 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 start seeing leaks for stuff sometimes like more than a year before they come out and it's just the pace of leaks that's coming and rumors it's just not there at a fever pitch yet where you would think that it's going to come out like i don't know 3 months from now but yeah I guess well, we'll and see. Uh, to be fair though Nvidia is and I've talked about this I won't say who but again you can guess which tech tuber I might talk to about sources um which one? I guess there's a few, actually. Yeah. But uh, no one has any sources at NVIDIA, as far as I can tell. I think Adored had one once, you know? Um, like, they're kind of a black box. That's the only thing I'll say is I, I would, I'd believe that Ampere might come out mid this year, possibly, and that they're just actually able to control their sources and AMD is utterly <laughs> incapable of that. Although they're getting better at it, apparently. A a a and AMD is just like a pit of people... <laughs> like just screaming what what's going on internally um, i guess that's what it seems like sometimes and uh yeah yeah i don't know it's, I it basically goes amd then intel then nvidia in terms of how much information you can get out of them it's 
that, yeah. that is interesting that they're so much better at holding back leaks. I'm, I'm curious if there's like uh, something with AMD to an extent where they want leaks for they're some just reason more, or what? Uh, there might be some of that, but I also think they're just a less closed company, right? Yeah. If you look at NVIDIA, their new mega campus, which looks incredible, it's very Apple-like working there from what I can tell. Notice Apple doesn't like leaks either. In fact, I'm pretty sure Apple kills your family if they find out you <laughs> left your iPhone prototype at a bar, which is apparently what happens to all iPhone prototypes I've noticed. How many times has that happened? Well, <laughs> I think there was like a like a Star Wars the Star Wars script almost leaked because uh John Boyega accidentally left the script at a hotel room. He had to like, I think he had to like pay someone to get the script back. <laughs> so I don't know. People just like leaving stuff around all the time, I guess. Yeah. All right. Let us move on. Phil writes in, just like you can if you support us on Patreon. And he says, any timeline for Big Navi? Or is it totally out of the question within the next six months? <laughs> I just, again, I keep getting these reader mails. And I'm working on a Big Navi video, but I can't honestly say... Uh, how much I know yet, because I haven't taken the time, right? Like when I put out that big Alder Lake video, I had all this info about Z as well. I just had time to drill into it. And and I also have to cross-reference it. I can't just take information from one source. And one source, including one rumor website, one person I know, I can't just take it from one person. So I have to then take time to cross-reference and see, is there like literally any other indication of this besides one guy? I mean, it will be exciting when uh, Big Navi is finally announced. Because uh, then the comment threads of every tech tuber will stop being flooded with Big Navi constantly. Um, but yeah, if we're done, if we're if we're done shitting on Phil, <laughs> um, I, I love you though. I love you, Phil. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, me and Dana Vague all over our face this episode, so it doesn't really matter. Mm. Um, uh, but I, I touch on it first of all because there's that big A Fox EEC EEC yeah EEC leak supposedly I saw a couple tech tubers rush out videos to talk about the 5950 XT and 5900 and here Igor's lab basically debunks the entire leak like this is all bullshit this is why I don't rush out videos anymore either because I don't want I already have too much egg on my face as it is yeah I mean I don't need any more. We did some math slightly wrong. Like, yeah, we, we can't get anything else wrong here. <laughs> I do like AFOX as a company, though. But uh, anyways, though, yeah, I uh, from what I heard, can tell, though, this doesn't seem definitive that this is the name of the cards. It might be. I mean, and it's a pretty safe guess, guys. So I'm not saying it's not going to be called the 5950 XT, 5900. I guess the one thing I will say, though, is if this leak was correct or if this naming scheme is correct, they really will have quite a huge card because 5950, 5900, 5800, unless it's two dies, which I suppose it could be. Um, That to me indicates a huge die they're cutting down a lot or several different variants of the same die, which is something I've received information of if you've you've saw some of my older Big Navi videos where, which I'm going to redo some of those, but that I was given information that they are making a die potentially that has both an HBM and then a 256-bit GDR controller. And again, just to explain this to everyone, the reason you would do that, there's people who go, that would waste die space, that would be stupid. No, if you do that, you could have an 80 compute unit, not saying it will be, but let's just use an example. Well, let's use 64 actually even, because I think that's a good one. Six. Let's say it has 64 compute units again just like Vega did. Mm-hmm. You give that top, let's say, yeah, if it used GDR 
six, it would use 350 or 400 watts. Well, okay, so the full unit, you give HBM2E. And then you cut that down to like 56 or 60 compute units, and you also give that HBM2E. And then they end up using 320 watts or something, 300 watts. They save a ton of energy, a profound amount, by going to uh, the newest HBM instead of GDR6. And then you cut it down just that little bit more from 60 to 56, and you can clock it lower and give it a 256-bit bus that uses 20% faster GDR6 than what's available now, than what's available on cards now. And that's, you know, 20% faster RAM than in the 5700 XT. And with like 30, 40% more compute units, but they're clocked lower. That would probably balance out perfectly <laughs> if you had a 256-bit controller for the most cut-down cards as long as you use fast RAM. But, so I just want to explain that too. Yeah, I, I mean, but like long story short as well. I mean, uh, there's another article you posted. Lisa Sue said that a high-end Navi is coming this year. So regardless, regardless, we know something is happening. I'm, I I really hope she just comes up and says, this is big Navi. So like we stop saying, what if they, what if they announced it on the same day as GDC? Like just right when Ampere is announced, they're just like, and this is Big Navi coming out in a month. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, in terms of when it's coming out, which I think is your question, Phil, and this was our story too. So we have all these li- links here. I think uh, Big Navi, I, I, again, I, I, my overall point is they could have had it earlier. They had made Vega, you know, Radeon 7. Come on. It's over 30% bigger than the 5700 XT. 30% more compute units in the 5700 XT is like, I mean, now we're at 52 instead of 40. So, yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> they could have made almost a, uh, a Navi 56. No, I mean, come, for a while now. They just haven't yet. So I really wouldn't be surprised if it came out in a few months or at the end of the year. But now we know it's coming out this year. I think it's safe to say they'll want to get it out before Ampere, though. I will say that. Yeah, and it, I am curious why they have been holding back on releasing like a high-end model for Navi, but you know, some we'll, we'll probably know eventually. But I think it yeah. has a lot to do with, if I had to guess, uh, the power usage problems. Like again, that's yeah, a whole yeah. saga I don't want to get back into. But like how they kind of overclocked the most efficient model they had, which was oh, going to yeah, be yeah, Navi yeah. Twelve. Now they recalled named it Navi Ten. You know, because famously, they were going to have, I forgot how many compute units. It was like 48 or something, or 56 in the, what was going to be the $400 5800 XT. But then they, you know, they canceled all that, overclocked the 5700 XT so they could sell it for more. It wouldn't be as efficient, but it'll work. And then they had to take time to fix Big Navi. So I think that's what happened. A combination of that and just, look, AMD's a smaller company, right? They They have... Radeon is like itself is like I think less than half as big as Nvidia. They don't have time to launch as many products at once. There is a reason they rebrand more, and Nvidia can afford to do full rollouts of entire lineups uh, on new architectures sooner. So yeah, that's the one thing I would say. Yeah, and if the, like those power consumptions you were discussing, like those are already pretty high power consumptions, I think. So I don't think you want to go much higher than like what. What did you say, like 320 watts or something? I mean, famously, that kind of killed the 400 series for just being such a 
beast <laughs> pile of <laughs> crap. Beast yeah. in a pejorative way, not in a good way. <laughs> All right, number 12. I actually threw this in here at the last minute because I thought it was interesting. Uh, Steve Walton, you guys have heard of him, at Hardware Unboxed, did a benchmark of four RAM sticks versus two. So if you have a dual-channel system, having four modules instead of two, and it seemed pretty across the board that performance was better if you actually have more RAM modules, assuming the speeds are the same, of course. But it helped Intel systems more, at least the ones they tested, right? And uh, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I didn't, you know, that's not something I've ever thought of benchmarking. And it was a pretty clear, in some games, 10% performance increase for Intel systems. Pretty clear. It was a pretty clear trend, but I would say... The trend is clear, but it's also a pretty small effect, generally speaking, outside of like a couple games, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, yeah, there were a couple where it was like, let me see, what is this one here? World War Z was huge for some reason. Yeah, I mean, that game, they're all huge, meaning like 10%. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, it's that's still only about like three or four percent. And at least for the max frame rate, I'm looking at minimums. Minimums, yeah, it's a li- looks like almost exactly ten percent, and yeah, AMD also saw a pretty big uh, uplift in performance from uh, using two modules. I mean, using four modules as well. I mean, yeah, it's interesting. I, I buying multiple modules. I mean, four versus two usually costs more, though, if I'm remembering correctly, right? It does, and he he aptly points this out in the uh, the article on TechSpot that I'll have in the description that you cannot run speeds as high if you have four modules because the memory controller is working harder. And that's always something I've kept in mind is I would rather just have two really fast sticks that are higher capacity if you can because typically you'll overclock it better, you know, than having four. So it's it's really, it's probably kind of evens out, you know, I assume if... Any any set of RAM sticks on average, you'll only be able to. I've heard this from a lot of people. You'll only be able to clock them like five, like ninety percent as high if you have four modules occupied, even if you add more voltage. So, I don't know, and that's yeah, uh, right. But it does. Yeah. I just think it's interesting that it seems to help. That technically the ultimate system would be the fastest RAM and all of the RAM slots occupied. Technically, and I just didn't know that. So it's almost yeah. like a PSA that I'm throwing this in there. <laughs> Yeah, there's not too much I have else to say about it. Uh, interesting idea for an article, though, too. Yeah, right. <laughs> Tommy Spratt writes in just like you can, and he says, is it ever worth it to consider ECC RAM for a workstation computer? I think for most people, the answer is no. Like, it doesn't make really any sense for me, and I rock-solid test my system with MemTest and other applications to make sure it's stable. You know, during the first month I have things, I'm still randomly benchmarking on my... Uh, PC with it overclocked just so I can back down clocks and know it's 100% stable moving forward. Which is, I, I do recommend that too if you get a new system. You should overclock it first <laughs> to make sure if it's going to break or have issues you know ahead of time. Because <laughs> so I know a lot of people that never overclock it and then just slowly loses performance over time. And I mean, I think you found that right with your, actually, wasn't it with your R9 390? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think it's, I'm not saying destroy your card with overclocking, but you might want to push it a little hard the first week just to make sure it's going to last. Anyways, though, when it comes to ECC RAM, though, 
It's needed if you're someone doing long render times. And this is something I've thought about immensely when I looked at the uh, Threadripper 3990X. So it's a 64-core CPU. It's like, who is this for? Well, th what they showed was the perfect example. They were rendering a scene, a second, it was one frame of the new Terminator movie. And if you think about it, it took them like, you know, an hour, whereas the Intel system took an hour and a half. And the Intel system was a $20,000 server rack. So if you do something like that, what makes me so excited about this 64 core is for indie studios. I assume you don't need special effects as good as the new Terminator movie. But let's say it takes you 20 minutes to render a frame and you're doing a horror movie, a budget horror movie. You could feasibly have one $10,000 workstation, do three frames an hour. So what is that? Right? So times 24. Like, you could feasibly yeah. in a week render a few-minute scene. And in a lot of indie horror movies, they don't show the monster that much until the end. But you really want it to look perfect for the five minutes it's on screen. Well, and, and yeah, that, that was a thing. I hadn't ever really considered until I read a little bit about ECC RAM. Or it's like, um, if you're doing, if you're rendering... Uh, if there's a small error in like the first frame in like the first frame that you've rendered or something that can just propagate throughout the entire scene and completely fuck it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, having no errors is super important for some functions, but I think for the majority, it's not that important. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean like even rendering my like two hour podcast episodes, which by the way, guys that did happen with the cortex one, I noticed a mistake and I had to delete what took about, now, it used to take about an hour and a half, but now it takes 45 minutes to render. I just had to redo it while I was working. I see, that's why I do that editing, that simple editing work while I'm working, so I can just start it rendering, double-check everything, and then, you know, at least I'm still working from home, and I can just restart it, and, you know, uh, that doesn't even really matter. I could just restart it. I lose 45 minutes. But if you were to let your workstation render for a week straight, I'm going to underclock every component by... 10% <laughs> and I'm using ECC memory because you do not want errors. I mean, that's what it's for. Are you going to let it sit there by itself and do something that's really important for a week? Then you definitely need it. Even if it was for like half a day, I'd say you definitely want it. Yeah. Yeah. So for specific expensive tasks, yes, you get ECC. I, I don't know. Or what like scientific using. simulations and stuff too. You just can't have errors. Well, yeah. If you have an error, like an atom is in the wrong spot, then that propagates throughout the entire simulation, making that entire simulation useless. <laughs> yeah. So Blokes writes in and he says, I've had my it depends on power quality hypothesis confirmed while running a light mem test. And actually, I've talked about this before too. Uh, I've mentioned it in breadcrumbs every now and then, you know, uh, on broken silicon. Like I think the stability of your house can matter. It's like when we're at mom and dad's house, even though their house is like newer, by the way, than our buildings we live in, uh, some shoddy worksmanship on their house, I got to say. It's a nice house, yeah. but I, I think... They, they, well, for example, they uh, did some remodeling to the house and they had to remove a wall and there was just a pipe that led to nothing just sitting, at, hanging out inside the wall that caused issues for the renovators. Because yeah. they, like, they were like, why is there a, like a massive stud in this wall? And there isn't. It's just a pipe was just chilling there. <laughs> yeah. So, and it wasn't connected. It was broken the whole time. Yep. So, and I think that explained why you didn't get air conditioning in the summer or something. It might have been something like that. Because, yeah, my room had terrible air conditioning. Your room, I think, had the worst wiring, yeah. too, though. Because yours had some more issues. 
Yeah. And it's like, yeah, some of my overclocks aren't as stable at our parents' house. And it's because of the electricity, like the ripples, it's not as stable. And so this is what Blokes is talking about. He said, for the system, having been stable for a couple of hours, even passing some very heavy tests like times 264 encoding, crashed hard the moment, the moment other people came back home and turned on a few electronic devices. The power wiring of this house is a little scuffed and it's not even grounded. So a bunch of things being turned on would indeed result in a drop in power quality. That's correct. Well, I mean, you even see that in mo- wiring in most houses or buildings. Like, if you turn on like a high en- high energy consumption thing in a room, the lights dim a little bit. So yeah, I'm sure like a brief loss of power, a reduction of power, uh, could easily cause your system to crash. <laughs> it's one of those uh, I can't prove it, but it's true type things where I don't feel like you ever really get enough data to 100 percent percent say it's true but it's like i don't know the, there's definitely not a coincidence here <laughs> yeah i know what you mean uh and then and so yeah those last few stories uh of things we just talked about you know the dual versus four module ram ecc this that was all interesting stuff you guys should know i wanted to keep it in the episode but let us move on to number 13 so this story if you go into the description you read this right dan yeah. So GTA 4 has disappeared from Steam. It's not on Steam. Now, if you already have it, you can still use it because of the key link to your account. But because Windows Live doesn't exist anymore, GTA 4 cannot be bought right now on Steam. So is essentially the way that they generated keys for a license for the game, they did it through the Windows Store? Yeah, some generation device built into the Windows Store and when they closed that, they couldn't generate more keys. And so, like, the private key is gone that was being used to generate keys that would unlock a game, I believe. But now you can't. So you can't just, you just can't buy GTA 4 on Steam now. They're, and they're not sure when they'll have a solution. I can't imagine this would take too long to figure out, but I'm not... Uh, it's about security. It might. It might be built to not be cracked. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not a software engineer, so maybe this is a bigger issue than I think it sa- it sounds like. Because, I mean, obviously this is more of an issue than just, we'll just start generating keys on Steam then or some bullshit like that. Well, like, uh, just open up his like, iPhone. Oh, no, it's encrypted. Well, just unencrypt yeah, it. Exactly. That's not how things work. You don't just <laughs> unencrypt things. <laughs> that is the point of that, yeah. I mean, I hope they find a solution to it. But yeah, you want <laughs> in the notes I'm seeing, you wanted to talk about just the issues we've had because of Windows. So, uh, yeah, we want to talk about that too. And and that, I think it, it brings us into the console discussion again because anyone who likes PC gaming should be rooting with both of their fists in the air for the next Xbox to run full Windows. Because up until now, until, until Xbox One, I would say, right? Xbox yeah. hurt PC gaming. Games for Windows Live? Are you fucking kidding me? Fall 3 didn't even work. And now you can't, you still, it's still not over. You still can't get, now you can't get GTA 4 because of games for Windows Live, some bullshit store that didn't work and a DRM everywhere. I had to rebuy Age of Empires 3 because they stopped selling it on the Windows Live store. It's the Windows Live store. This is a Microsoft published game and I had to rebuy it on Steam. Thanks, Live. Yeah, and and I remember there was a time where you were trying to like recover your key for the game because they're when they were like shutting down, 
there was like a point in time where they tried to help by transferring your license over to Steam or something, and it just never worked for you, if I'm remembering correctly. But I was able to successfully transfer my Bioshock key for Gamefly to Steam. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but, and I tried to see if I could do a similar thing with this and no. And I want to be clear too, like people are like, why are you blaming Xbox? Live. Xbox Live. Yeah. They came up with the Games for Windows Live concept to bring Xbox to PC. Microsoft, we're already gaming on PC. You don't need to bring Xbox here. You need to bring Windows to the living room. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's just so infuriating when it was like, so then they just start started publishing games on Xbox and not PC, even though their entire business model is Windows. It was just slap in the face after slap in the face just because I guess they wanted you to have to buy two systems. Yeah, I, I know. It got very annoying for a while because Microsoft used to be a pretty big game publisher on PC too. Like there were PC games that I played all the time published by Microsoft. And yeah. And, and then 360 came out and we just got fucked for a few years. Yeah, until they realized that they decided they to make money releasing games on Windows <laughs> so again. They should start making yeah. money. And I know that's a controversial opinion, but like to state it. the billions they lost on that, yeah. Microsoft I know hasn't made money off of Xbox for the majority of the time Xbox has existed. And I mean, again, and I know they're like, oh, these fanboys. I'm like, I'm not a fanboy for stating a fact that it was bad business to have the first console lose seven billion, then the second console lose two billion from the Red Ring, another <laughs> half a billion for the disc scratching thing, and then. Uh, and then God knows they sold the console at like a $200 loss. It was similar to the PS3. They lost billions selling at a loss. They started obfuscating like where their profits were on Xbox. They didn't want anyone to know. I believe they said Xbox 360 ended up barely breaking even at the very I think end. So. I believe I, I, I read think, that. I think a couple years ago, Xbox turned into a profitable venture. And we mean a couple of years ago because if Xbox 360 was neutral overall, and then the first one was six billion in the hole. Took a few years for uh, Xbox One to make it up. Yeah, and, and I'll say this for uh, people that saying I'm a fanboy. Yeah, I don't own an Xbox One, but I don't dislike what Microsoft is doing right now. They seem to no. Be they should have been doing this from the start. <laughs> yeah, and that'll be a huge win, and it will ingratiate them a lot for me if they put Windows on the Xbox. Series X, XXX, XX. Whatever they call it. They still can't get the names right, as Cortex You're, points out. Do you remember um, those old usernames that people used to have where they, they started <laughs> in the 90s? With Xbox everything X, with XXX for some yeah, reason. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, this brings me to another thing I've thought about, though. So let's say it does. Like, like let's just say the Xbox is the best it can be, which I, I hope every product is. Like, let's say it is 56 compute units. I kind of doubt it will be, but let's say it is. Let's say it's 56 compute units clocked lower for uh, some amount, uh, a lot of efficiency. And so, like, let's say it is a 2080 Ti with, you know, the equivalent of a 3700X and that they sell it for 600 and it comes with Windows. Even at 600, do you think AMD would be worried about that making them unable to sell their cards on PC? I mean, I don't know. I, it, I'm, I bet right, there might be some NVIDIA, They of... don't care if it hurts NVIDIA, but it could hurt their own mo business model. I am curious, like if, yeah, if we would see a drop off of 
sales from AMD. Well, just sales of PCs in general. Because I don't know, like if I had to do a full system upgrade, I might just consider or just doing had to pay six hundred dollars to upgrade my PC. I might just consider getting an Xbox instead. Yeah, it's a, a very it would be a very capable machine. Yeah, yeah, and so that's something I'm wondering if they're like because the the the, the feeling I get is that actually surprisingly, even for the specs, Microsoft's targeting five hundred and Sony's targeting four hundred. That's honestly the feeling I get. I wonder if AMD's like eh, make it six hundred and five hundred guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know though. I get we'll just have to find out. That's that's something I, I guess. In I guess AMD could make the argument though. Well, you know, the desktop version has more compute units enabled. It'll be like sixty or something, and maybe it clocks twenty percent higher. It's thirty percent better, and it's seven hundred dollars. But that's still pretty hard sell next to a six hundred dollar full system. Yeah, exactly. And, and 600, I feel like, is it's one of the first big entry points, like system total targets that people have. Like, that's the that's like the low end target, like someone that's just trying to make a low end machine. Then you get like $800 systems and thousand, like 1500. I feel mm-hmm. like $600 is like the entry point for people that are building gaming PCs. So, uh, I mean, you can do a good budget one now for like 450 if you just get a 570 and a R5 1600, though. Yeah, but to I be mean, fair, it's not stronger than a console. It's the same price as a console. So we're really yeah, at the same yeah. argument. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know. I think that's just an interesting thing to start thinking about is if AMD... But then again, you know, maybe AMD just wouldn't care. They're like, you know what? The do-it-yourself market is like not even 5% of our profits here. It's all OEMs. It's all... The console's going to make us more money than this. Who cares? We yeah, the DIY market just yells real, real loud. <laughs> yeah, and then AMD goes tell Nvidia to lower prices. Will fall suit because that's the problem too. Though is because let's say because if they wanted look the fifty seven hundred XT, I just got a little more information about it. the fifty, and I, everyone knows this. It's not like I'm a bombshell, but like you know, I had someone else say. By the way, just to confirm, AMD was gonna charge three hundred for the fifty seven hundred XT until they really thought about how overpriced their competitor is. So if they were going to charge 300 for that, Big Navi was going to be 600 probably for the top one, 500 for the cut down. And I think they're yeah. just going to go 650. I think they should go 680. I think they should go $20 less than the Radeon 7 if it doesn't have HBM. If it does have an HBM version, well, I think they could charge $900. And look, if it beats the 2080 Ti and has, H- and, you know, has like 16 gigabytes of HBM or something, well, it's a Titan RTX competitor for a third the price. Who cares? Which, uh, in order to not be criticized as a, a graphics card by AMD, that's about the price performance advantage they need to be at. I know it's ridiculous, the double standard. But I mean, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe they will just say that. They'll, they'll just say to themselves, well, you know what? We're going to make more money from the consoles anyways. Who really cares? We're going to price this you know, $700 anyways. It's... 20% better than the $600 Xbox. Although, again, guys, I think the Xbox will probably be like $500. Um, but let's say it's $600. I think they could get away with $600 if it had Windows on it. And then yeah. AMD just goes, here's the thing, though. We have wiggle room. If they drop a 2080 Ti, or who knows what they do, 2080 Ti SE or something, if they drop the 2080 Ti to $700, hey, we'll drop the price of Big Navi to uh, $600. We'll just follow suit. But we're waiting for them to do it first. We're not doing it first anymore. Yeah, and I think that would be a really 
I mean, if Microsoft did that, I think PC gamers would benefit a ton for the reasons I said, like it becomes a viable option to buy that as your system. And also it would force the uh, manufacturers uh, to reconsider how much they're price gouging us in a lot of ways. But yeah, well, anyways, though, let us move on to the final story. Horizon, the PS4 exclusive, formerly known as the PS4 exclusive, is coming to PC. It's confirmed, isn't it? Like you read the story. Was it confirmed? It it looks like it's still in the very, very plausible leak stage. Okay. Um, And Dreams did too, although Dreams isn't a first party game. I mean, not Dreams, not Dreams. I meant uh, from Quantic Dreams, Detroit. Oh yeah, yeah. That that's more wiggle room, and that would make sense why they would. That did. Yeah, I would almost consider getting it for. Eh, it looked almost photorealistic on PS4, anyways. Who cares? But uh, it's not like I need high frame rates for that type of a game. Uh, the big thing is Dr- Jason Schreier, uh, who is the CEO of Kotaku, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, confirmed in a tweet that it is co- that it is being released. And I don't think Jason Schreier would say that unless he's pretty much certain. Yeah, I don't think so either. So they're uh, not a huge rumor site. So, (laughs) so I mean, I don't know. I'll just say my thoughts. I saw Horizon is coming to PC. All I said was, "Cool, (laughs) good. Bring more games to PC. Bring more PC games to console. Put keyboard and mouse on every console. Bring things to everything." And I think that's an interesting idea. I mean, you kind of see this with like, what is it called? The Xbox Live, like free games you get. And same thing with the free games you get from Sony on PS Plus every month. Uh, it's often used as like a marketing tactic as well. Like they released, oh, yeah. Neo. They released Neo a few months before Neo 2 comes out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like uh, you should get Neo 2 if you haven't played Neo 1 yet. And here's Neo 1. Um yeah, I, I think it might be a good idea. Like they could use it as a marketing tactic for the PS5. You're saying? Yeah, I, I, I'm saying they could use it as a marketing tactic for new releases. So don't release first party games right when they come out. Generally speaking, but maybe wait a year or two, announce whatever sequel is going to come out, and at, this is kind of an advertisement. Like if you don't own a PS4 slash PS5, uh, yeah, for Horizon here, too. You've already here, the have first Horizon. One. Yeah, play Horizon. Get Horizon too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and again, they'll make they're they're bringing MLB the Show to more places. Although from what I've seen, that's because they had to. <laughs> that's because yeah. there was some contract deal where they're like, "Hey, dude, uh, Sony, you can't just keep publishing this on PlayStation." So, so things are becoming more open, and that's something I I've seen people say recently. Well, Microsoft's being more open, Sony screwed. No, Sony's being more open too, which brings me to. Again, I really mean this. If the next Xbox doesn't let you boot into Windows, I think it's an insanely missed opportunity because Sony's going to start bringing some of their games to PC and making more money there. And if Sony ends up looking more open than Microsoft, I mean, what's going on? It is going to be a weird scenario, though, next-gen, because I bet this will start happening a little bit as seeing a Microsoft published logo on the PS5 or... Uh... Oh, well, and the, and they already talked about how they want to start. It's very clear Xbox wants to start publishing a lot of their games on Nintendo. And there is a very, very credible leak. I don't have it in the in the description, but a very credible leak. It's actually not in any description. It's from someone I just trust. That says they have the Halo collection for PS4 
about to be greenlit. There was a board, a final board meeting where they were like, we could make so much money. We don't need to put the new Halo. Let's just put Halo 1 through like, you know, whatever, through Halo Reach or something on PS4 and we'll make millions. Come on. And yeah, they you- decided not to because they just decided it would be a bridge too far. But I still wouldn't rule it out, guys. Halo coming to PlayStation, Horizon coming to Xbox. I mean, yeah, it's pretty clear that Microsoft has been the leader in trying to make the console platforms more open. And it makes sense that they would be the leader. Like, I, I, it annoys I, me a little be. bit. Like, <laughs> they're the good guys in this one. No, they're both massive corporate entities. And this yeah. is the best financial choice for Microsoft. It's also pro-consumer, so that's good. But it's not like they're heroes for doing it. It's like they very very good point. Because I want to add on to that because when I attack the Xbox 360, it's not because it's... Well, it is because it felt insanely anti-consumer with Games for Windows Live, that insane DRM system that was terrible. But, but why would they stop doing that? Because Steam was making all this money when they should have been making money. It was a business, though. So it's not like any of them are good guys. They're just not stupid anymore. Yeah, I know. It's good to see Microsoft leading the charge. It's very clear that Sony is more reticent to do so. Well, you know, they, they're, they've got a commanding position in the console market, and yeah. that forces innovation, like what happened with the PS3. Yeah, and I think at some point they'll probably also be forced to be more open. Like, they're clearly dipping their toes in the water now a little bit with, like, Death Stranding, which I'm not sure how the ownership of that... that uh, IP works, but... Oh, that was always going to come to PC. I always knew that. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm just saying... It, it, well, is it being published by Sony on PC, I guess? I don't re- remember. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, I guess. That's a good point. Probably. So, uh, so yeah. I, I mean, you see games like that, but, and if Horizon that would comes to PC, that's a huge deal, because that would be, I think, like the first time Sony's done that with the first party. Uh, unless I'm forgetting something, but... Oh, I think they've done it with a few others. No, they've done it with like Journey or something. Oh, yeah, okay. So, like, they've done it before, guys. Yeah. But this is the first huge one. Anyways, though, a big point I want to get to, too, is... So, we've talked about how both of them should be becoming more open and that it directly benefits Microsoft in every way because they are a Windows company. (laughs) But at the same... And, you know, again, and why not just put it on Nintendo consoles? Why not put it on the Switch? Who cares? Put Halo on the Switch. Why not? But um, a thing I want to emphasize about Next Gen is, guys, it's not just going to be about the games. It's going to be about features. And I don't think, again, you guys got to stop looking at these consoles like they're graphics cards. They're not. They are (laughs) ecosystems. You do not, and this is something me and Cortex talked about, no one's buying the PlayStation because of how many fucking teraflops it has. They bought the PlayStation because it was a good overall console. And I see yeah. so many people talking about like, well, this one has more teraflops or this one has more teraflops. I can see it in the comments. One month, the PlayStation's rumored to be stronger in teraflops, not even overall, just in teraflops. And all of a sudden, well, Sony's going to win again. Then all of a sudden, Microsoft is, oh, Microsoft's going to win. Neither of them are going to win because they have more teraflops. The, the, the Xbox One and PS4 is also unique in how much better performing one of them was. That's like, not a thing we're used to seeing. And I don't think that's going to happen next gen. But the, a big point I really want to make is just, look, the PlayStation 5 is not just about the performance like of brute force. They're clearly targeting the fastest load times, 
hope that's probably the best ray tracing. Although again, I don't know about that. But it sounds like they're doing some interesting custom solution. Their argument is not we have more teraflops or more teraflops for the dollar. It's ray tracing, surround sound, loading times, and wireless VR. That's their argument. It's not just the games or the teraflops. They're they're trying to make a new type of system. And Microsoft's openly said they're not putting VR on the Xbox, so they have no plans to as of now. So that's just an opening for Sony, right? To make them a truly wireless VR console. I think people are just really missing that. Um, yeah, that's true. They're different I mean, devices. One should be an excellent Windows gaming device. One of them should just be a next-gen console. <laughs> yeah, and w- what happened is you kind of... S- I mean, I feel like it just makes sense as a through line. Like, what happens is they each move a little more in that route. Maybe Sony is curving back a little and, be- and it's also starting to move towards being a little open as well. But, um, like, look at the... The reason the Xbox didn't succeed, well, I, they did, might be making well, money off of it, but it's doing okay it now. But yeah, the be reason better. it didn't have the success that the PS4 had wasn't because it's stronger; it's because it was a. It's just the better option to get. At least it was when it first came out. I still think it probably people is. remember that streaming was a huge thing that was just blowing up right when the PS4 came out and it had a backup arm processor for handling streaming and a share button to share to Facebook, right? When Facebook was at its peak, like it wasn't just, you know, they built a console that had the newest streaming stuff. Famously, you could not get a PlayStation. I, you could not get the PlayStation camera for a year because they didn't think people would buy them. And all these streamers (laughs) bought them, you know, uh, they made a good console. It wasn't just the performance or the exclusives. Although that certainly helped. The performance and the exclusives are part of the reason why it walked away with the generation like a cakewalk. But it also was a streaming, sharing, well-priced device. It's the overall thing, you know? And I just remember that when you look at both of these consoles. Microsoft needs to make the ultimate Windows gaming device for a reasonable price that hopefully also has some other cool features. It's about the features that you buy a device for. And Sony just needs to make a next-gen gaming device, you know? What do you expect in a next-gen? Everything should be better. Better graphics, better sound, no loading times, VR. It's not just going to be about it has God of War. It's going to be, or if it's only about God of War, it's not going to sell as well as the PS4. I'll just say it right there. No, it won't. You'll get get some of the people that buy every time, but some people just won't come back. If, um, if, yeah, and if it was, yeah, I would wait if there weren't a bunch of good exclusives, and you know. But if it if if it has some killer feature, yeah, sure. There's a new 4K Blu-ray player for my TV, <laughs> you know, whatever. But it's it's not going to be because of uh, teraflops and you yeah. know this one game. I mean, come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you got to look at the overall device. Anyways, that's the last story. Let's roll through the reader mail, shall we? Yup. All right, Phil also writes in, and he says, since Borderlands series is referenced a lot, yeah, we like Borderlands, what is your favorite DLC from number two? And so far, general thoughts on Borderlands 3. Oh, I see. Um, Well, wouldn't it be the medieval one? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I I was looking at the DLCs. You mean the uh, Tiny Tina one, right? Yeah, that one was badasses and bunkers. 
which was a spoof yeah. on Dungeons and Dragons. They had a scene I still think is which hilarious you- where they literally have you get invaded by a black phantom from Demon Souls. Like they, <laughs> and it was Demon Souls. It was not Dark Souls. They literally had the fog appear so you couldn't leave an area. And then it said in, invaded by Noob Slayer 69. And then he looked like a red black phantom from Demon Souls. Yeah, they somebody in the in border uh somebody that uh developed Borderlands definitely played Demon Souls because there were several e- Demon Souls Easter eggs in Borderlands too. <laughs> yeah, and Dark Souls references. Yeah. That DLC was just good too. Ah, uh, yeah, it was good action, well written. There was like a surprisingly emotional <laughs> time I know. in the story. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. It was actually explaining Tina's backstory. It was it was sad. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> it was incredibly good. You know what another... So, and there's, you know, General Knox from the first Borderlands was excellent. Um, I like I'm, the Mr. Torg campaign. I the Mr. Like Mr. Torg campaign Torg, was great, too. Yeah. All of, the, all of them were good. I'll say the first one, the pirate one, was hilarious in concept, yeah. but none of the missions were that great. But I like the characters from the first one. I love the the guy who helps you in the town who can't come to terms with all of his friends, I think, died of thirst. And so he yeah, puts all, them on yeah. metal spikes and props them up like they're alive and puts tape recorders so it sounds like they're talking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Yeah, I remember he had really cracked lips from the lack of water, too. Mm-hmm. But... uh I mean, uh, the one other one that stands out for me that's, if anyone remembers, like two years after Borderlands 2 came out, they released these holiday DLCs that were like $4. And me and Dan were yeah, bored yeah. when we, were just, we, just, we got the turkey one where you had to kill a giant turkey. But the, the snow one was actually like half of a full DLC, it felt like, didn't it? There were like five missions and a, a big raid boss. That was a pretty decent one. So I loved the, what was it? Bunk, what, was, what was that day called? <laughs> Mercenary Day? That's right. It was called Mercenary Day. And I remember it was literally like a play on the North Pole, the Polar Express, except it's horrible murderers. And so, like, (laughs) I remember after you killed the evil, deranged mega snowman raid boss, like, (laughs) a a bandit is there telling the story of Mercenary's Day. Gather around, kids. Once upon a time. And he says, now guns for everyone. And the kids are like, yay. And they throw guns to kids. Don't shoot your eye out. So, I, I mean, I generally liked all of them. I, the DLCs that I played from that game. I, the best one, I think, is pretty clearly the Bunkers and Badasses one, though. And as for Borderlands 3, I mean, I like Borderlands 3 a lot. I would say it's not as good as Borderlands 2, though. Um, it's not as good as 2. It's better than the pre-sequel, although I like the pre-sequel more than most people. I just like Borderlands. Um, well, compared to Borderlands 1, it's kind of a mixed bag. The gameplay is way better. Like, man, the guns, the pacing, the customization, all of it's awesome. This is the best controlling Borderlands by far. It, they really outdid themselves with making it feel like a... A good modern shooter, I would say. Yeah, the plot's more coherent than the first one, too. Although there were some weird plot choices that they made in Borderlands 3 that were not very good. I I think the first Borderlands, I think the overall story near the end, though, seemed to get really strong, if I remember right, though. There was something about the end of Borderlands 1 that was really cool when you finally met the Atlas team. The villain was super underdeveloped until like the last few missions, though. And then they were like, here's this cool character now. 
Yeah. Whereas Borderlands 2, I mean, I don't feel like they'll ever get better. Than Handsome Write Jack. a better villain, villain than Handsome Jack. You just like, can't. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, that was the perfect villain for that universe. And I don't think they can make another one as good. Like, I mean, they clearly milked it. They made the pre-sequel so they can make another game with him in it. He plays into the Telltale <laughs> game series. Too. Like, He's also in the first DLC, the first big DLC of, uh, if you don't count the Halloween one, this first big heist, Moxie heist DLC, Handsome Jack plays a very prominent role. They basically put Handsome Jack in that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I get it. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, yeah. Yeah, so I, I like Borderlands 3. I think it's worth getting. It's, it, I think Borderlands The bad guys in clearly. Borderlands 3 are, are better than the first one, though. I mean, they are not bad ideas for a bad guy. They're just not, they're just, you know, not as good as 2. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I like Borderlands 3 a lot. I, I think I think it's a fantastic game. I think the Moxie Heist DLC was better than most of the DLC in the first one. And even some of the DLC in the second one. Like, it was better than the first DLC in the second one. I think the Moxie Heist yeah, DLC was true. fantastic. Yeah, I mean, Borderlands 1, the first... The DLC that really stands out is the General Knox one. Like, yeah. I think that was clearly the best one. The other one ones the were fine, you know, but... But there, there, the Halloween like one this, was okay. But they made you kill, like, 800 zombies. That was so dumb in the first Borderlands. There's, like, this great uh, side mission that took place in a prison, and they just, like... <laughs> slowly insinuated over time that it was just like a gay fuck fest in the <laughs> in the jail. Yeah, my favorite line from that was, hey, you killed Chad. They used to joke that Chad's abs were made of steel. Guess we now know it's not true. <laughs> yeah. And I, you just I, like, they never mention it, but you walk around and you realize all the porno mags were gay porn. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like 3 a lot. And if anything, uh, if this first DLC for Borderlands 3 is any indication, I'm really excited for whatever else they got coming. I don't know. I think it's great. And uh, we got the Ultimate Edition because of how much we like Borderlands. But again, I looked it up. I think we played the pre-sequel for like 300 hours. (laughs) Yeah. And we played Borderlands 2 for 500. Just generally speaking, yeah. I think we like... I, I like that game more than most people like that game. So... Like, I played the first Borderlands and the second one by myself at times. Like, I didn't need to play it with people. Borderlands 3, it was just a long time coming. And like, yeah, I am I'm was going to play it a lot regardless of, even if it's not quite as good. If it was just another pre-sequel situation, I would have been happy to. I just want more exactly. Borderlands. Exactly. Anyways, Carbon Cry writes in, what company had a worse 2019, Boeing or Intel? So, I thought about this. Oh, you did? Good. All jokes aside... Boeing definitely had a worse year than <laughs> I know they did. They had a way worse year, dude. Like I think I think Boeing Boeing accidentally killing like 400 people. I think that's the uh I think that's the worst year. Yeah. I look Intel's had a bad year, but they they're still fighting. So, I think 2020 might be worse than 2019 and 2021 might be worse than that if Golden Cove doesn't pan out. Yeah, and I looked it up like their total valuation, which I know that's probably not the perfect proxy to see who had the best year. Oh Intel yeah, yeah. Is, Intel is still up. Oh yeah, Boeing, Boeing is not. 
<laughs> Boeing has lost. Not good. Since 2018, Boeing's lost like $500 million in valuation. Now they're a $100 billion company, so it's still not a huge loss for them, but they're not doing great right now. And I just saw that the 737 Max, before it was re-released, they found that there was another computer glitch in its system. (laughs) So thank God they found it before it was put out again. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you did your research. I was just going to laugh and say definitely Boeing, which I followed (laughs) it to a certain extent. I do do some trading. I don't trade Boeing. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I also just happened across that an article talking about finding another glitch. Like that wasn't part of the research. I just saw that earlier today. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. Well, let's move on. Final reader mail. JJ48240 writes in and he says, is it really ever possible to trust WCCF tech? I remember laughing whenever I heard someone source them in 2018 because they were never right. Have they gotten any better? I don't know if they've got... I feel like in the past couple months, something's changed a little bit with them. Uh, maybe maybe they watched my video where I took a giant dump on their face because of their horrible, horrible reporting of that one article where they literally just mistranslated German. That really pissed me off. But I don't think you can trust any website blindly, Right? I mean, yeah, just in general, I usually, whenever I read something, especially from a, I mean, yeah, I'll I'll just stay on tech and not get into anything else. But like, if you see something on a tech site, like there was that big story that I kept seeing every fucking day for like two weeks about the game cartridge thing with the PS5. Oh, yeah. It's like. Which, I mean, maybe, but probably not, guys. Come on. When I see like a, a odd looking rumor, you look elsewhere to see if there's any validity to it. Uh, you try to check their sourcing. I mean, I think the problem with a lot of tech sites is their reporting is super. I mean, their sourcing is super circular. It's where they so bad. Often- it's worse than even mainstream media. It's it's so bad. It's literally they'll source like themselves and then like yeah, they- a person who sourced them. Yeah, they source themselves, then like, oh, well, what's the source for this? Oh, it's another article by them? Oh, then there's, like, it's just a rabbit hole of them just self-citing, which you can do, you can self-cite, but you, especially with a rumor, you need to have some type of citation to another Or don't source. put a source, right? Just don't or put just, one, say it's a rumor, and say, hey, we yeah, know it's a rumor. It just bothers me that this, uh, yeah, this, like, circular citations, like, you're yeah, I did a fire states on it. Like, I can't believe what's going on with some of these news sites. And what really bothers me is when I realize I'm doing a better job sourcing information than these websites. It's pretty, like, disturbing because, like, you learn to not cite Wikipedia in fourth grade. At least I learned to not cite Wikipedia in yeah. fourth grade. And this is way worse than citing Wikipedia. Oh, like, it's, yeah. If, if, yeah, if you're sourcing some claim, you need to have a source or you need to say, we can't reveal who the source is, but this is how much we believe them or this is how credible they usually are. Which WCCF tech used to be really good at that. I used to, I and I know some people like when they saw like my, uh, the Zen conspiracies video, which is the one I'm talking about. Yeah. When they, which I, I'll recommend you all watch. I think it was one of my best ones. Um, when they used to do things, I see people laugh and go, well, why are you mad that WCCF got something wrong? It's like, no, but they used to be, it used to be easy to tell which rumors were bullshit. I feel like in 2017, 2016. And at a certain point, they just started throwing out 
just the most random shit. And if you'll look, usually most articles by Usman are good. He's the guy. But the problem is they hire these other people that don't put in a quarter of the effort. And I see this on tech, tech Power Up a lot right now too. Like Tech Power Up, it's like, well, they were the ones who uh, posted that picture of gamers Nexus insinuating they were being bribed by NVIDIA. Yeah, I'm sure. It's like how lazy. Oh, yeah. he. Lo- <laughs> well, I'm sure he appreciated the millions of views he got from his parody That's videos. <laughs> but like, like, I mean, how lazy can you get? Um, Very. It's, it's mean, laziness. It's not bad. Rep- well, which is bad reporting. Like, Well, it, if you can... If you can find the original source to something, that's always what you go with. And so many of these sites, it's just like, well, we'll just source our our story on it. Which, I mean, I guess isn't the worst. Or again, thing, I think it was tech tech. The biggest one I had was tech power up. So again, like if you shouldn't source tech power up thing, guys. If you have a problem with WCCF tech, because I remember tech power up literally sourced, and they misquoted it too. They misquoted. What was said in German, even though when I used Google Translate, it looked like I understood it correctly, and they literally couldn't get past the mistranslation of the title. They couldn't read, be bothered to read past the fucking title. And then their second source was WCCF referencing the same source. And I was like, this is just bad. This is just bad. Yeah, and a lot of the times, like in WCCF articles that I see right now, uh, when it's about re- uh, leaks or rumors, you see like they talk about how valid it is, but they use, I-, I think, kind of weird speech where it's like, we've gotten this source before and he's usually right or stuff like that. Or it, The only leaks that I you should put really a lot of stock in are the leaks that come from like a source where they're pretty much always right. Like I, I can't think of any of the names of certain leakers right now, but there are Twitter leakers that or pretty like yeah yeah that like if you see something from them like you can pretty much trust that what he what, what or he, she i guess is what saying. he what he what he or she is saying is true as of that time yeah exactly so what, what i would say though is i think wccf tech used to be very good about being obvious about what's true what's not true what's guessing what's speculation and i never saw the lazy stuff i saw recently but I feel like they're getting better again. If anyone at WCCF Tech listens, it's like, just don't do that. <laughs> I used to actually like you guys more than a lot of people, just because at least for me, it wasn't hard to tell when a rumor was likely or not. And that's why mm-hmm. I went to WCCF. Um, and the other thing I'll say is uh, the reader, the writer of this reader mail that I just opened with a letter opener might be writing this because it's like, why are a lot of my links to WCCF Tech or Tech Power Up? And it's like, well... When I put links, it doesn't necessarily mean that's the best. It means I'm sure of this story and mm-hmm. they happen to cover it. And a lot of times the original source is like a Chinese forum cross-referenced with someone I can't reveal. And it's just like, this is the closest thing I can put that summarizes the information quickly as a link. But you feel yeah, free no, to know. look up for additional sources. I often try to put maybe, the original maybe, source, but... Yeah, yeah, I mean, in the future, maybe, like, just in the show notes, you can put original sources or something. I don't know. I try but, to um, sometimes, but this is a lot of work, so you gotta give me a break. <laughs> but it, it, the other problem is, like, especially tra- if, like, the source is Chinese or Japanese, translating between those languages to 
European languages is way worse than if it's like a German source. Like it's pretty shameful <laughs> that they got that German source. I know because it's like it's fucking English, dude. It's English with different words and a little different grammar. <laughs> and Google Translate is really good at translating German. Like I can read German tech websites usually fine just using Google Translate. I mean, come yeah, on. Same, same here. Now, like, yeah, that's what I was saying with like the Jap- Japanese and Chinese sources. Those can be a giant pain in the ass to translate. Like that's even an issue with mainstream stuff. Like, like official reporting in Japanese sometimes takes days because like the translation, they have to make extra translators sure, just yeah. suck. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, I mean, I guess that wraps up that though. I mean, you don't trust anyone blindly, but I do feel like there's a greater discussion about how it's gotten worse recently, you know? And no, uh, it's about generating those clicks, baby. Well, yeah, but where does that ultimately lead you? Like, you see, what was it? Um, uh, Pinterest was it? Was that the one that they some company bought for like two billion and then had to sell it for uh, five oh, million? T- Tumblr, I think it's Tumblr, yeah, yeah. It's like, and and I know BuzzFeed or at least some recent. This is, but there's been a few of these, like The Verge or something. I don't, I don't remember, right? But like these, like clickbaity tech or whatever websites. Or like IGN or something, I think recently, like someone bought that for half a billion. And now it's clearly worth like a fifth of that. You know, I know people measure clicks, but when it comes time to actually like evaluate if it's making you money, it's like, I think we might need a new metric, guys. uh, Something needs to happen with those sites too. Like IGN, like a lot. I mean, there's several writers I follow. I have or do follow that like, came from IGN and they talk about it it is like slave labor what they do half the time there like you're working 16 hours in San Francisco and getting like $45,000 a year like they, yeah. they don't make much money they do it because they like it a lot and the fact that they can't make a profitable venture from something like that is crazy I mean, maybe that just speaks to the whole internet as like the internet as a whole, where it's it's just hard to monetize, and we haven't really started figuring it out until recently. Well, I think long term, what it's probably going to end up being is, frankly, microtransactions. Like one Satoshi right now is worth, which for those who don't know, that's a one hundred millionth or something of a Bitcoin. You know, that's worth. You know, you're looking at thousandths of a cent. I think eventually we'll just get to a point where we're happy to pay a thousandth of a cent to read a good article. I would, kidding me? Yeah, because the the problem is, um, like a lot of news organizations have moved to like you get like four or ten free articles every month, mm-hmm. and I don't think that model will work. I mean, I guess reasonably speaking, I could just get a subscription to like the New York Times or the Washington Post. They all report on the same stuff. It's just you don't get like the exclusives that each site get. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it becomes an issue like people are t- tracking too many sites for you to be able to really buy a subscription to all of the sites that you use. So like that monetization model doesn't really work. No. And that's Not originally long term. Not as a general model. But that was originally one of the ideas for how the Internet would propagate is you would like buy websites that you could use. Um. But the problem is it was created in a college setting. It, like the internet was created in colleges and they wanted to promote free exchange of information, which is great for a while until everyone decided to try and make money off of an unmonetizable idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, any last words, Dan? This is, I think this is the longest episode. <laughs> I was trying to stretch it to get it there. 
<laughs> All right. Well, you, you know what? You did it. <sighs> And I think we move fast, too. I don't think we wasted time at all on this one. No. All right. Well, I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, you know, again, if you can, if you have the extra money, consider supporting us on Patreon. Just $2 gets you access to Die Shrink, uh, Flyover States, all these other podcasts and exclusive things. And of course, you get thank yous and all that stuff. And uh, if not, you're hitchhiking. I get it. I hitchhike off of most of the stuff I do. So, you know, just please share our content and, you know, tell your friends, you know, tell them you listen to Broken Silicon, spread the word, share the videos and uh, tell Dan he's okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Bye. Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast is predominantly brought to you by me, Tom of Moore's Law is Dead. You can find all of my content, including videos, articles, and this podcast at www.moreslawsdead.com. And of course, it is also often co-hosted by my brother, Dan. And it is edited by my sound engineer, Gerard Cortez. You can find his contact information at www.moreslawsdead.com. You can also find the contact information of my article editor, Carbon Cry. Now, of course, if you want to keep the show running, I really do hope you rate me on your podcasting platform of choice, share it with your friends, and if you have the money, but only if you do, consider supporting me on Patreon at Moore's Laws Dead. If you do, you get access to the Discord to talk to other enlightening people who work not just at AMD, not just at NVIDIA, but often in the server space and other computing areas that people often overlook. And of course... If you support it, you can get access to reading these people's names that keep the show running. But without further ado, let me give thanks to my greatest supporters. The following supporters are at the net burst 10 gigahertz or higher level. Bootman, Hunter Drake, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, Tomas Baraj, Bolix, Jordan Betcher, Mohammed Al-Kawari, Carbon Cry, Prime Tech TV, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Carl Marco, Phil S., Thyrister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Larry Hoskins II, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Diesel, Derek Evans, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, Scott Shope, Frederick Lau, Alexander Delar, Alethros, Telos, Kaiden, Greg T. Wanchek, Jacob Barber, Exoti, Wani Kierber, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rauner, Rubber Ducks, Michael Costa, Ali Robertson, Gordon Lamb, Sadler, Sadler, Chrysantine, and I love you, Lynn and Jim. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs> <laughs>